Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. In much less detail, the podcast where we cut through the noise and give you your NFL breakdown in much less detail. Here are your hosts, Jay and Dre. Y'all know what time it is. It's time for In Much Less Detail, the podcast. Here with you live on a Friday night, January the 12th, 2018. I'm Dre, he's Jay. We are in the house and getting ready for the conference semifinals, the divisional round, whichever way you want to call it, starting tomorrow in the NFL. Four matchups set up, ready to go. Uh, last weekend, the, the uh, wild card round took place, and Jason, we we had some uh, some strange outcomes, some strange uh, things that went down last weekend. To me, they were strange. Maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but. The, the the season seemed strange leading into the playoffs. Uh, seemed wide open to me. Seemed like a lot of different things happened that you don't normally see in the course of a of a typical NFL season. And then that slate of playoff games last week, that wild card weekend, that was that was some really strange occurrences. Uh, I don't know if I've seen anything quite like what uh, all the different things we saw last weekend that we hadn't seen before. Uh, Jason, if you're there, I can't hear a thing. Hopefully you're on mute. Jason, are you there? Am I there? Are, Are we there at all? Uh, Jason just texted me, keep talking. Uh, Blog Talk Radio, got to love them. All right. uh, So as Jason probably gets off of the host line and gets on the air via the phone line, and hopefully that will solve our problems. Uh, Yeah, as I was saying, uh, just a a lot of different events that that happen in those wild card games that are just, to me, were – Things you don't normally see. Some of the refereeing uh, that was talked about a lot in the in the media um, was, was very strange, resulting apparently in, in one guy being so bad and so strange. And uh, our, our buddy Jeff Triplett uh, decided that he'd had enough. Uh, yeah, it's it's doing it again. Yeah, Jason texted me, it's doing it again. That's Blog Talk Radio doing it again, where it won't. Uh, let me hear him when he's trying to speak. Yeah, uh, he's just going to have to get on the phone, I think. I'm going to text him now, get on the phone. Yeah, this is even stranger. This is strange as well. Speaking of strange, not just the football, but blog talk radio being very strange. I don't even see our episode info up here in the studio. Um, it, it's like we're doing a ghost podcast or something like everything uh that i typed up for the uh for the episode information 
uh, is not here on the on our board at the at the moment. Hopefully, it'll show up uh, after the show is over. Um, yeah, Jason uh, is is on the host line through the computer, but that has not been working for us for the longest for for weeks now. Whoever is hosting on the computer. Now, you, you've heard, if you've been listening to our past shows, you've heard my attempts to be on the computer and what those are sounding like uh, really, really choppy, really, really bad. So, And now Jason is just not being heard at all. Jason, are you on the air now? Well, I tell you, this is really starting to piss me off. Yeah, yeah I know. I, I, I was sitting in the studio for like 10 minutes before the show started. So yeah. I was like, I'm all set. I'm ready to go. I got my headphones on. I called in. Everything's good. I've got, I've got responsiveness off my microphone that I can see on my computer. And then you call in, and then the show starts in. You can't hear a word I'm saying, which makes no yeah. sense because I'm the host. I, I know. Uh, I understand. I, it's it's crazy. So what I started off by saying real quick here was that no, it did not surprise me. A lot of what happened um, because. You, you kind of have to expect the unexpected. But what I was really sitting here hoping and praying for was because of your, you know, usually you're in the show a little early, and today you were in the show late. I was just sitting yeah. here hoping, beyond hope, that you have more bullshit stats for this week's show because they are helping me out this time. Yeah, my, my we, we can talk stats about, didn't work so well. We can talk about elite this and elite that. I'll tell you what's elite. The Kansas City choking effect is elite. They were looking elite for three quarters. They looked elite. And then we realized, wait a minute, wait a minute, this has gone on long enough. This is the Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid and Alex Smith. They're going to find a way to choke this thing away. It's funny because I'm at work. I text you right away. About you know, got the Chiefs right where I want them. It's, you know, twenty-one to three at halftime. I got these guys right where I want them. I'm talking to my got my friends at work, and where the game is on. And I said, you know, I seem to remember a Chiefs Colts game a few mm. years ago where Andre thought he had me by the ball. That sort of like that whole theme started playing through, and then Mariota throws the touchdown to himself. One of the guys I work with is like, you know what? You don't get a play like that and lose. <laughs> Literally what he said. He's like, you, never, you don't get a play like that, go your way and lose the game. And, and sure as shit, the, the Titans found a way to, to chip away and chip away. And Derrick Henry was a beast. And the Chiefs just, they doink a field goal. They can't get anything going. And they completely deserved to lose that game. I just needed it to stay within five and end up getting the win out of it as well. So I'll take it. I'm trying to chip away at you here as well. Yeah, that uh, that was a, a game that I did not expect that outcome at all. I did not, I, I didn't know how the Chiefs could have possibly dropped that thing. Uh, the way they were playing, uh, they they had it completely sewn up and just completely pissed it away. And I was just, I that that Indianapolis Kansas City game that you talked about. For some reason, I had a feeling that the Chiefs are going to drop that. They they were playing very well, just like they were playing uh, in this game uh, against Tennessee. But that was Andrew Luck, and and the the Colts were at home, and 
momentum turned around and it, it, I, I, that one, it, it, I, I felt like the, the Chiefs are going to choke and drop that one. This one, there, there's no excuse. They, they got Marcus Mariota having to play catch up on the road uh, as bad as he's been at quarterback this year. Uh, they're really their only chance to come back and, and win that thing was to rely on Derrick Henry at the run game, which Mike Malarkey had been so loath to do all year. And lo and behold, they do it. Uh, your your friend is correct. It, it did get kicked off by the Mariota touchdown pass to himself. Uh, and I could rail on about how lucky that was, but the fact is it happened, and the Chiefs didn't overcome that. But the, the, it, the credit, I think, as, as bad as the Chiefs showed, the credit goes to the Titans for making the adjustment and realizing – uh, how they were going to come back. The the path to win that game, the way to come back, was on the ground, which is not just something that they don't do normally, but it's something that most playoff teams, the vast majority of playoff teams, do not use their, their ground game, uh, whether they have a, an elite one or a subpar one. Uh, back to my wonderful stats that got me a, a big whopping one win last weekend. Uh, most teams don't run the ball very much in the playoffs, but the Titans did it. They did it in the fourth quarter. They did it when they needed it the most, and, and it, it paved the way to victory. It was, it was shocking to me to watch that happen. Well, we have a caller on the line patiently waiting here from the 646 area code. I have a suspicion who this might be. Yeah. 646, you're on the air. Hey, what's up, fellas? This is Bryce calling from Brooklyn. Bryce, what's going on? What's up? How y'all feeling tonight? Oh, good. Just getting ready for some playoff football. You've had a couple of weeks. Uh, the the world's biggest Steelers fan, for those who don't know, and uh, <laughs> your, your Steelers are lined up and getting ready to kick off their playoffs against the the Jaguars, a team that they're very familiar with from from week five. I don't know. We had a we had a pretty interesting uh, Steelers fan call a few weeks ago. Uh, interesting is one word to describe it. Oh, okay. What happened? Yeah. Oh, oh. no. I, <laughs> I I don't want to relive. I mean, you that. can't. I mean, you right. can't say it like that and then not right. expect me to uh, ask you what happened. <laughs> right. It's about uh. it's about Mike Mitchell <laughs> and the most interesting draft party. <laughs> that you could ever go to. Uh, it, it was it was like a normal phone call, and then it really went, you know, we started feeling like we were really in the honor and the arena of late-night sports talk radio. Uh, it started to go off the rails pretty quick, but, yeah. yeah it, was, it, was, it was an interesting phone call. It sounded like a, an on-the-level Steelers fan, and it went in the worst possible direction. Andre and I could not end the phone call fast enough. <laughs> hey, and don't Mike speed Mitchell, the troll. I never look at Mike Mitchell the same way ever again. <laughs> oh Lord, I can only yeah, imagine. yes, exactly. It was a really bad prank call. Don't he, he tried to put a bad name on Steelers fans, but we won't let that happen. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. I'll try not to put a bad name on Steeler Nation. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah, I mean they are. You know, it's a rematch. You kind of, as a Steeler fan, to be honest, just the matchup you wanted. Um, 
you want to play against these guys again. I thought five interceptions. A lot of them, you watch the game, you know, good plays by the Jacksonville, but a lot of flukiness to them. Tip passes right to the linebackers, tip balls in the air, you know, a couple of them bench trying to come back. And so they're just, he's just throwing deep, deep shots and they're picking them off. I mean, you know, good game. You take, take away the, you know, the 90 yard run counts at the end of the game, but take that away 28 yard, 27 carries for Fournette 90s like 97 yards, that's really nothing. Um, you know, it's a really good best – I think, you know, right now, physically best defense in football, two really good corners. Ben and this offense have seen better defenses, particularly Ben, in the playoffs. Um, he's played against better defenses in the playoffs. I think it's a good defense. Uh, the way people talk about it, it's like, you know, oh, my goodness, the Jaguar defense. I'm like, look. I think the Bronco defense of two years ago is better than this defense. And, you know, I've seen what Ben Roethlisberger has done against defenses like that in crucial moments. So beating Pittsburgh in week five is one thing. Coming up to Pittsburgh in the playoffs and beating Ben Roethlisberger at home is another. So let's roll the ball out and see. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm almost un... I, I'm almost willing to take that first game that the Steelers played against Jacksonville kind of with a grain of salt only because now that we sort of have a history of this, you know, 2017 Steelers season that we can look at the totality of the season, that game really just plays into the Steelers uncanny ability to rise or fall to the occasion based on what they seem to think of their opponent, not necessarily how good the team really is, but if they play a team that they don't really get up for, they just look terrible. We saw that against the Bears, the Colts, the Browns. They had any respect early in the season. Nobody really was giving Jacksonville a lot of respect. I don't think the Steelers gave them any either. And the Steelers came in there and they punched them in the mouth. So I don't think that this is out of character for the Steelers. I think the fact that it's the playoffs now should, if it doesn't wake up the Steelers to play better, I don't know what will, but you almost have a feeling that these teams who've sort of been there, done that. I thought we, I think we saw the same thing last week uh, to a lesser extent with Atlanta. Atlanta did not impress, I think, either myself or Andre most of the season. And they came out and played against both Carolina in week 17 and last week in the playoffs. They're probably their two best games of the whole year. I think Pittsburgh is just sort of that, let's just get there. And then let's, you know, because if they don't turn it on and they do lay another egg against Jacksonville, I'm a little worried for them. But I have a feeling that 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 first matchup should not be a big indicator of this second one. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely, absolutely agree. It's going to be two different games. Hey, look, you know, know, I'm not looking past or sleeping on Jacksonville as a team. You know, when you got Tom Coughlin running things, Coughlin has always been a guy from the old AFC Central that's believed in playing the Steelers tough and getting players that can beat the Steelers and play against the Steelers. He wants to play a certain way. So I respect Tom Coughlin's, you know, in terms of his leadership and getting that team focused on we want to play a certain way and, you know, building that, you know, the way the team has been built over the past couple of years, talking talent, but, you know, getting them in the right direction. I mean, they have an identity and they're going to play with it. You know, and I give them guys credit for that. Having said that, I think Pittsburgh overall is the better football team. Um, I think what's not been talked about is we have a top five defense this year. Um, Finished top five. No shades there. If you want to say, you know, give a seven or eight, that's fine. But 
I still think, you know, with Joe Hayden back healthy, this is a top five defense, a lot of weapons. And, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars, like I said, for net, take away the 90-yard run, 27 carries for 90 yards. That's just not going to get it done, um, I think, in this playoff game because Ben Roethlisberger ain't throwing no five picks, and they ain't running for no 231 yards rushing. There you go. Bryce has made it known. You have a final score prediction? We knew you were going to pick the Steelers anyway. but Well, well, I got to ride with my guys. So two things. One, I'm going 23-10 to 10 Pittsburgh. Um, you know, not saying they're going to roll over Jacksonville, but I just feel our defense is going to come out ready. And if we can get the early lead, you know, hey, I, I want to see what Blake Bortles can do against our defense. Um, and then, you know, a couple things. One, real quick. Tom Brady in the past month, the deep ball's been looking a little, you know, not as accurate. Derrick Henry against the defense and the Patriots that gives up a lot of yards. You got to be careful in the playoffs. The type of team that Tennessee is, if they, can, if they can start to control the game and get yards running the football with that tailback, they can make life very interesting for New England. I'm not saying they're going to win, but, you know, everyone's talking about Jacksonville. Oh, what's, what's Pittsburgh going to do? You know, Dick LeBeau is going to, you know – New England has the better offense, but Dick LeBeau is a very good coach. I think he'll have those guys ready to play. And, again, that running back is the key. If he gets going, they can, they can, do, they can do a lot of damage in controlling that football game because while New England is great in situational football and defense, I mean, outstanding, they give up a lot of yards. And in the playoffs, that, you lose control of the game if you do that to a running back like this. Just keep that in mind. There you go. Bryce will never have any bad thoughts about the Mike Mitchell draft party, anything of the sort. (laughs) We are very thankful for that. (laughs) Oh, Oh, geez, oh man! Thanks for checking in, Bryce. We're gonna be uh, we're gonna recap the week, and then we'll you'll you'll hear our picks in the second half of the show. We don't want to give away any picks here yet, but uh, I know we'll definitely be uh, talking a a big a a bunch about that uh, Pittsburgh Tennessee game and. Or Pittsburgh Jacksonville game. I'm all. So you've already got me all hyped up for this Titans Steelers AFC Championship because I know you're being greedy and that's what you really want. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what? I, I guess I think they obviously would be the easier team. But part of me for for the legacy and all that with Joe Hayden, I, I want us to go to New England to get that win. Oh man, that would just put the cherry on top of getting to the Super Bowl. But hey, you take it any way you can get it. No, I, I'm with you. Well, thanks for checking in, and uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll hear from you if the Steelers win, and then, you know, we'll we'll be waiting for that wellness check if they lose. Oh, thanks, <laughs> All right, guys. Talk to you later. Yeah, you always got to watch out uh, when the Steelers take a tough loss because uh, Bryce can, can kind of disappear on you after that. He uh, kind of wipes his wounds. It hits you. It hits you in the feels. It hits you in the gut. You know, <laughs> it's hard. I mean, we, they've had a few losses where we've been wondering, and uh, that Jacksonville one was tough. That first one they played against the Steelers was pretty tough. Watching, you know, Roethlisberger was, oh, maybe I should retire after that game. You know, right. they, they put it on them. So I don't want to give away any picks because that's you know one of the one of the big matchups that we got to go over here for the weekend. Uh, no, we always appreciate Bryce calling it. He's, yeah, I, I appreciate it. He did patiently wait. He was on the board almost from the get-go on the show. So he he, he, he hung with us until we got him on. 
and he certainly didn't get any notification from Long Talk Radio or a tweet or anything else that we were on the air. You know why? Because the board is fucked up, too. I can't even put out the uh, the notification that we're on. I, I can't see the episode info. I can't see anything. Well, you know, we, we, we've been pretty consistent. You know, in the playoffs, we're actually a lot more consistent. It's like we can't schedule a Friday night show and then have one of us go, oh, let's do it tomorrow. Right. <laughs> there is no tomorrow. We're not shut down corner picking these games, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take my kids out trick-or-treating tonight, and then I'll give you my uh, my Saturday picks on Sunday. Um, <laughs> I, well, I didn't get the pick in on time, but if I had, I totally would. <laughs> if I did it. Yeah, we were uh, – we were talking about that that Tennessee Kansas City game. Yeah, make, make fun of my numbers, make fun of my trends, all you want. The Chiefs were the team according to my trends, and they were kicking ass. And you even texted me and admitted as much. And somehow Tennessee came back uh, and won that game. So I, I I give them credit, and and I do properly recognize the Chiefs and Andy Reid doing another choke job. Uh, but I, I'm sorry, the Titans weren't were not the better team on the field that night, and it, that that's how it happens sometimes. Sometimes the better team loses, and that's what happens. Totally on board with that. Like I said, I was just happy keeping it close. Did not expect it to go, you know, full out Tennessee win, but even late, they 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 found the secret, and they did not relent in that ground game. And Derrick Henry, you know, you said it a few weeks ago that that DeMarco Murray injury could have been the best thing that happened to that Tennessee team. So there was no, there was no qualms about who are they going to use? They had to use the guy. And I think Derrick Henry is the guy. Now you're starting to see the reports come out of Tennessee. that you know, We might not need DeMarco Murray anymore. Right. Uh, that that off. I think they're okay with, with Derrick Henry. I think they're going to be just fine. Uh, now, of course, Many people citing, uh, rightfully so, that the uh, Chiefs' offense ceased to exist and ceased to uh, do anything after Travis Kelsey went dumplings in the middle of the field yep. and got knocked out of the game. I would well, agree with that. yeah, I mean, they, he's, a, he's an unbelievable talent. He's a great weapon. He's, he's an, uh, an elite, there's that word again, elite tight end. Uh, there are so many other weapons that the Chiefs could use. The Chiefs did not make it all the way up to uh, eight yards per pass attempt on the season and seventh in the league in passing on Travis Kelsey alone. Now, he may have opened up a lot of stuff, but the fact is uh, Alex Smith was playing the best football of his career, whether that was motivation from Pat Mahomes waiting in the wings or what have you. Uh, And he failed to use the weapons that he had after Travis Kelsey went down, and also a combination of those weapons failed to uh, do the job for Kansas City. You had drops in the middle of the field. You had uh, guys you never heard of getting targeted and and, and not coming down with the football. Uh, but the, the guys that you've heard of, the, the Tyree Kills and the and the other weapons that the Chiefs have, they didn't make themselves uh, available. They didn't make themselves open. They couldn't make plays. Uh, Alex Smith couldn't get them the ball. It was it was really a total team collapse, and maybe there was some choking going on. Maybe the the weight of the moment, and you see uh, the the opposite quarterback get a pass batted back to him and catch it for a touchdown, and maybe you go, oh fuck, what what is going on here? Uh, maybe there was some of that going on, but I, I 
as great as Kelsey is, I, I don't want to put so much uh, blame uh, for the loss on losing Kelsey because the Chiefs had a, a really good offense uh, and, and they could have used their other weapons after that. So, so do we just continue the theme here and say that the Titans are the least impressive nine yeah. team that we've seen move into the division round? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. Uh, not too much other way to describe it. I mean, uh, you saw what they were doing. Uh, Marcus Mariota still not getting it done through the air. He was, uh, at least he was using his legs and his feet, uh, but uh, it, it was, it, it looked so easy early for Kansas city though. It looked like it was going to be as ugly as, as I thought it was going to be. Um, I mean, Kansas city was dropping everyone in coverage on those short third down plays. They were daring Mariota to, to, to throw the ball and beat them and he wasn't able to do it. And they had everything going. They had the offense and the defensive schemes and game plans working for them perfectly. The fact that that game slipped away was just uh, bizarre. And the refereeing didn't help either. Jeff Triplett had a really bad night. It was so bad that apparently he's going to retire now after that. But uh, just to me, just summed up the season perfectly. Just a bizarre game, a bizarre outcome. I, I, I All I could do was text you. I, I, what happened was I didn't see the end of the game uh, because uh, I was planning, my wife and I were planning to go out to dinner and, and meet a friend the whole time anyway. But it just so happened that when she said, okay, let's go, was up 21 to 3. And by the time we made it to the restaurant and our friend walked in and I was able to whip out my phone and check the scores, it was about the same time that the uh, Titans took the lead. And I was like, what the hell? What what happened? So. <laughs> Yeah, that's all, I, that's all I could do was text back to you, what the hell just happened? And, and literally, that's what I was asking, what the hell just happened? Because I didn't see any of that. Yeah, well, the Chiefs were played the whole game by the drops. I don't know what was going on. I mean, even Alex Smith for that almost record-breaking first half he had, his incompletions were drops. Right. You saw a lot of tentative play from his wide receivers. And then as, as that game just kept getting closer and closer. But, you know, I, you know, I texted you right away uh, when the game started getting close. You know, I said, hey, you know, I used the oldest, you know, sphincter tightening up, right? It's tight sphincter time there in Kansas City. And I, I really did get the sense that you could just, you could feel it. The crowd was out of the game. You couldn't help but have this, this feeling that that was what's, going through the heads of those Chiefs players and the Chiefs coaches and the, oh, no, it's happening again. Like, it could have only happened to the Kansas City Chiefs. I suppose so. But, yeah, just a crazy way to start off uh, Wild Card Weekend. Uh, After that, on to the one game that I actually got right and got so right that I almost nailed the final score in the, down to, to two points, uh, the Falcons over the Rams, uh, which wound up 27-14. Uh, to 14, And I had predicted uh, I had predicted 27-14, to 14, and Atlanta wound up winning 26-13. to 13. Uh, That game pretty much went the way I thought. The Falcons are looking calm, looking good, and, and looking like a veteran team that's been there and navigated the waters. They looked like the defending NFC champions again, and the Rams looked like a team that had not been in the playoffs in a long, long time. 
The Falcons, and I'll give them full credit. I wanted you to be right. I, I, you know I'm a Falcons fan. I wanted them to win. But I just didn't know if they had it in them. As unimpressive as they were through the vast majority of the season, even their wins were, were a lot of them. We, we've already highlighted five of their wins could have just as easily been losses. It literally came down to that that nice edge last second. You win or lose right here. We could be talking about a team that won five games. And there's, you know, aha, Super Bowl curse, you know, Super Bowl loser. They didn't do anything. But they came out and played against the Rams with a focus and, and just this, this, this determination. And they looked, they looked more professional. You know, the Rams, they looked what behind the ears. They looked a team that was, you know, happy to be there. And they had the number one offense in football. And Atlanta was having none of it. And they were taking advantage of special teams mistakes. Todd Gurley wasn't able to get going. And Jared Goff looked like a second-year quarterback playing his first-ever playoff game. And Atlanta looked like, you're right, Atlanta looked like the best team, not only on the field, but they looked like a team with the determination to go even farther. And I told you when we made the pick last week that, boy, it was really hard not to have those thoughts of going into L.A. and winning and then going to L.A. and playing, you know, the Eagles and Nick Foles, and just like that, you could snap your fingers and you've got the Falcons possibly back in the NFC title game. I don't know. I don't think they were looking ahead at all. They were focused 100% on shutting down the L.A. Rams, and they only gave up. I mean, to give up only 13 points to, to the best-scoring team in football, I mean, they had that game where they got that late touchdown the Rams did to, to make it, you know, somewhat close at halftime. I believe it was only 13-7 at that point. And then and then the Falcons just said, nah, <laughs> we have had enough of this. <laughs> and, you know, they end up with the largest margin of victory during wild card weekend, uh, the sixth seed uh, going on the road. Yeah, only a three-point lead for the Falcons at the half. But oh, to me, they made right. two – they made two adjustments that I really loved uh, in the second half, more misdirection type plays. And they really made the Rams uh, try to come at the ball, but oops, the ball's over here. And when you get a young hungry defense, like the Rams had and Aaron Donald uh, and, and the, the Rams are, they were coming from Eddie ice all night, but they just couldn't overcome those early special teams turnovers. But uh, they, they made more misdirection plays. They, they got the Rams on roller skates and they also ran physical as fuck, and they really turned ball control there for a while. They they were just slamming uh, uh, Freeman and Coleman right at the Rams, and, and like here, come and get it. Here's here's some more, and I hear some more of that. They're really punching them in the fucking mouth. You you don't expect that from the Falcons, but this is what veteran teams can do. That's all that was going through my mind watching that. This is what teams that have been there and done that, this is what they can do. They can go back and forth between what they're best at and what's totally different from that, but they're still good at. So they went to the physical run attack, and then when they needed points, when the, the Rams are trying to get back in it, they go back into the air in the fourth quarter uh, and, and do what they got to do uh, to put it away And Julio Jones with the with the touchdown catch. A tremendous team effort all around uh, by the by the Falcons, uh, and you talked about Todd Gurley not being able to get off only 14 carries for him. It's really hard to get off when your uh, your, your team sort of panics and, and doesn't give your your running back the the football. But the Rams are set up for for panic 
when you got a young team like that that hasn't been in the playoffs for so long and the special teams mistakes, that sets you up to, to sort of go, oh, God, oh, no, this isn't our night. Uh, the Falcons got 10 of their first 13 points off Farrell Cooper turnovers. And so that's it. They're, you know, when you're going to start the game like that, it's really hard to overcome. Right. But you almost you think about the point you just made about Todd Gurley and then contrast that with the point that we've been making about the Titans and the way they came back with Derrick Henry. And you have one team that completely panics and puts all of the pressure on their second-year quarterback who just can't make the throws. He just, you know, and it's the playoffs. The windows get tighter. Guys are more focused. Everything, everybody's more determined. Atlanta looked like a team on a mission. It looked like they were not going to be denied. Where on the other side, you have Tennessee who realizes, well, we can't throw the ball to win this game. So let's lean on our running back who's a battering ram, you know, with speed. This guy's a complete freak. And he ends up opening up holes, and then the passing game starts to open up just enough, and the Chiefs get the, to get the yips, and then the nothing starts going right to them. But then you have the Rams completely almost abandon the run, probably the matchup that favored them the best. Yeah, and that's maybe as much as Sean uh, McVay was getting all the, the praise and all the credit, maybe that's the difference with the Titans and Rams between a veteran coach who's been there and a, a, a head coach who's 12 years old. And, you know, and no shame, no shame in, in the Rams for, for losing that game. They had a great season, you know, for these guys, you know, first-year coach, second-year quarterback. I mean, the arrow is clearly pointing up for the Rams, so I don't think we're going to be that hard on them because they played a professional team on this sort of mission of redemption. I mean, for Atlanta, it was just get back, get back to the playoffs. I think almost like when we talked about with the Steelers, I think that Atlanta had this sort of just sleepwalk through the season because when you really saw it started getting late and they needed wins to start cementing their playoff position, totally different team. The defense stepped up, the offense looked better, you know, over the last four or five weeks of the season, Atlanta was, you know, toward the top of the league in just about every category, offensively and defensively. So when, when they really needed it, they sort of woke up. And they really – I did not expect them to hold the Rams down. You did. I did. I give you all the credit. I did not expect the Rams to stay under 20 at all with that explosive offense. Yeah, I was going to say, you were talking about how much better the Falcons have been playing against the stiffer yeah. competition as the season went on. That's why I was surprised that you didn't take the Falcons along with me. I I, I thought it was an uphill climb for them. I, I can't win them all. Clearly. Sure. So, that's the one that you got over me. Uh, what do you want to say about that Buffalo-Jacksonville game? That is uh, three hours of my life. I'll <laughs> never get back. Saturday afternoon football. That there's, I said it should have been the Saturday afternoon game when the schedule came out, and there's nothing that happened on Sunday to convince me otherwise. That should have been the first game of the playoffs. That was the ugliest game on the schedule, no doubt about it, and it played out probably even uglier than I thought it would. And it wasn't even this issue where you're watching the, you know, this defensive struggle. This was this was not the Steelers and the Ravens of 10 years ago. I'm sorry. This was nauseatingly bad football. I mean, 
we just knew the Bills were going to have trouble scoring, and they did. They they couldn't do anything. I mean, we would we talk about how fraudulent the, the Titans may have been to make the playoffs. The Bills were just as fraudulent. This is a team was trying to lose football games. They were going out of their way to not make the playoffs, but somehow made it in. Playing against a team that we both had in the playoffs and and, and achieved great things defensively but has one of the worst quarterbacks at the starting position in football. That should have, if the, if the Jaguars had a league average quarterback, that's what, what's the final of that game? What was that? <laughs> 30, 31-3. I mean, it's a blowout. It was right, right. there for Jacksonville. I mean, Buffalo was three and out, three and out. I mean, Jacksonville had the ball more than enough times. They just couldn't do anything with it. Blake Bortles ended up running the ball more effectively than he could throw the football. That's fine if you're Michael Vick, but when you're Blake Bortles, no, you don't want your quarterback throwing for more than he runs. Yeah, and they, and they, manufacture, they manufacture one touchdown, was, you know, third quarter, they get up to 10-3, and I mean, even at 10, like, well, it's over. I mean, right. I just hope get that, extra, that last field goal or, or something yeah. to sort of that away and get us a win on that pick. Uh, yeah, what a brutal football game. Yeah, in my wonderful numbers, Jacksonville with an elite pass D and Bills with a subpar pass. Oh, the Jaguars did not cover that spread, not because of their elite pass D not coming through. The elite pass D did what it was supposed to do. They didn't cover because their pass game was a notch above subpar. Maybe it just barely a notch. Uh, and, and not even that good on this day. So when you match subpar with subpar, that's that's what you're going to get. Uh, God, Bortles is just he, – he's, he's awful. He's just awful. Um, and maybe, I couldn't even feel good about the fact that my X Factor led the Jaguars in receptions and receiving yards. Because it was a very low total for, for both of them. Because it was like five receptions for four <laughs> yards. That, yeah. that was their best. Oh, it's so horrible. Yeah, it was. Uh, but neither one of those teams looked like playoff teams earlier. There's a couple of things that each team did that were like, this is not what playoff teams do. Uh, Bortles on that first possession, uh, I think of, it was a third down conversion that he tried to hit Leonard Fournette on a slant pattern. That's not one of your targets. That's a running back. You're trying to throw into a slant pattern to hit on third down. That's not – that. That's not what you're supposed to be doing on third down is trying to throw a slant to your running back. Uh, And and then the Bills, the very next possession on third, they had a receiver, Deontay Thompson, who didn't know how to break off a route. So they had nine yards to get it. He ran eight, and he stopped and caught the ball and and was short of the line. Not because the Jaguars stopped him, but because he just stopped because he doesn't know how to break off his route. I'm like, this is this is this is not playoff football. This is like week six play, uh, football. This is not this does not belong in the playoffs. Uh, but it, it was it was awful. Uh, Shady had no moves out there. Lashawn McCoy early. He had to he loosened up. It's like it's like his ankle had to loosen up. But it was you know too little too late later on in the game. Bortles was comically inaccurate. Like it it made you laugh. He was so so off. Um, and and Tony Romo making excuses for him in the booth made you laugh. You go, oh, it's windy. Oh, how can you expect him to have accuracy on a ball because it's windy out there? Which 
No, nah, wasn't really that windy for us. <laughs> That's about it. Now that that long Jacksonville drive, uh, there there was a long Jaguars drive uh, that resulted in no points. Jacksonville. Uh, they tried. They tried to cover. They couldn't cover. Uh, I, I had the Benny Hill music playing in my head during that drive. Uh, uh, that actually scored the uh, the points that the Jaguars okay. did score. That that one touchdown. Uh, I thought they were going to come away with nothing because that's how it was looking. Uh, and if if they did, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting turned around. I think it was a Bills drive that I was uh, thinking about that they got the three, the the one field goal that the Bills got. Uh, I thought they were going to get no points out of that drive, and if they did, the Jaguars would have covered. Uh, and it, that, that's when the Benny Hill music was playing in my head. But it, it only got worse, of course, uh, because Tyrod Taylor getting knocked out on that last drive, and Nathan Peterman comes in, and, oh, that's when the real circus began. But wasn't it the perfect ending? The Bills yeah. season on a Peterman pick. But he's the guy that gives us the best chance to win. Part of me is thinking when Peterman comes in, oh, shit. He's going to drive him down. Just watch. You know, I'm thinking. No. <laughs> this is not happening. The Bills cannot do this because if Peterman drives them down and they tie this game, that's it. I'm done with football. <laughs> no, that that really didn't go through my head because Nathan Peterman, there's nothing he's shown me that makes me think that he was going to have any success at all when he came in the game. I I didn't know it was going to be so perfect that he was going to throw an interception. Now, that's ex- but exactly why I thought it would happen. That's the <laughs> that happened. And this didn't even feel like the Saturday afternoon playoff game. That game felt like a week four Thursday night football game. Oh, ugly. Nestled in between the World Series and nobody gives a crap about it. That type of, you know, that type of one, or it's like in between play, baseball playoff games. Nobody cares. That's the kind of game I would have expected. And it is so funny that after that comes the Panthers and the Saints, and here comes Drew Brees on the field. Okay, here's how an actual quarterback looks. This is what actual football looks like. And and Drew Brees and the Saints do what they do uh, to the Panthers. I will tell you, though, I watched that whole game. I actually thought for the vast majority of that game, the Carolina outplayed New Orleans. The problem really? with the Panthers was they're kicking field goals and the Saints are scoring touchdowns, and that's it. The Panthers are driving up and down the whole game, and then they just couldn't quite make that connection in the red zone and get into the end zone and get the points. And I'm thinking, boy, wouldn't it be helpful to have a big, sturdy wide receiver down in this set? Oh, wait, you traded him. Hmm. Yeah. This would be a really good spot for a big, bulky red zone target with good hands. Well, that's coming really handy right now, don't you think? And every time they get down there and have to kick a field goal, I'm like, you know, there's something missing from that offense. Oh, yeah, it's Kelvin Benjamin. 
himself. Yeah, the, the guy in Buffalo in the previous yeah. game that you didn't know was on the field because Tyrod Taylor couldn't get him the football. Right. So I actually was impressed. I, you know, in that game ended up playing out pretty close, 31-26. I believe I had it 26 uh, or 27-21. So I had it, you know, I had it fairly high scoring, and I had it, as you told me, I was getting cute, but it worked. It did. I I guess we saw it a little differently, though. I thought the Saints were the better team, and I don't know what else you could ask from, from New Orleans. They break 30 points on the scoreboard. Breeze goes for 376 yards. He had a 115.2 passer rating. He had a, uh, 10.9 yards per attempt. Uh, the D was a problem, of course, the defense uh, letting Carolina and Cam Newton back in it, letting them hang around. But I, I thought the Saints were uh, – the, the better team on the field. Uh, I, I guess you're giving credit to, for, to Carolina for hanging around and, and staying close and making the plays to cover the spread. And I thought it was more of the Saints' defense sort of letting them make the plays, that playmaking defense, which bends but doesn't break. They couldn't make enough plays to cover the spread, I guess. Uh, and many players, particularly uh, uh, the cornerback, uh, Marshawn Lattimore, were – a fingernail away from making the play, but they didn't make it. I mean, you know, it is what it is. They they came close to making it, but didn't make it. That's what happens when you come close, but don't make it. That McCaffrey touchdown, uh, Christian McCaffrey running away from everybody, uh, the fingernail away from knocking that pass away, but he catches it and just takes it right through everybody up the field. Uh, all the catches by Devin Funches, uh, they seem to all be contested and a fingernail away from knocking it down or picking it off, but he makes the catch anyway. Kalen Clay on the sideline. Uh, Lattimore made the, the, the near pick on Funches during the final drive at the goal line, or else uh, they do actually lose the game. Carolina could have actually done what Tennessee did and, and been the team that was losing most of the game and come back and wins it at the end. So they actually made uh, the play that they needed to make just to preserve the victory. Uh, uh, Carolina had an eight-minute drive in the first quarter that I, I think you're probably uh, putting a lot of value on that they were playing well. They were moving the ball, uh, came away with uh, uh, with no points. That seemed like a great sign for New Orleans that, hey, you, you made enough plays to, to stop them, and they, and they blow the field goal, the easy field goal. And then the very next uh, play or two plays later, Breeze uh, hits that home run to Ted Ginn, and you're thinking, uh-oh, okay, there you go. It's all over, and, and the Saints are going to take off and, and, and cover the number, but they they come up short. So I, I guess give, give credit for Carolina hanging around. I guess they could have went in the tank uh, after that. Yeah, and there they are, though, at, you know, in the red zone or, you know, at least in a position to, to throw the deep ball into the end zone. Uh, I forget the receiver's name because he's not one of their top guys who just did not fight back for the football. Uh, had an easy, had a touchdown in the in the by the pylon at, at the end of the game there that we're talking about that we're talking about the same play uh, mm-hmm. mistimed his jump not you know I don't know what it was the moment was too big for him but Cam Newton did the right thing sort of under threw the ball gave the receiver a chance to sort of shimmy off as a defender all he had to do was dive back in front of the defender, put his arms out and, and hug and everything everything just looked discombobulated for that guy. Otherwise we could be talking about a, a big Panthers upset. Yeah, Greg Olson was a matchup problem, so they, they had that going for them as well and uh uh 
contrast that to week 17 when Carolina uh, lost to Atlanta where Olsen and and Cam Newton could not get together. They could not uh, connect at all that entire game. And and the Panthers lost that one, you know, by a lot more points, of course. Uh, So that, that made a difference, but, uh, but to me, the story was new Orleans defense hitting uh, instead of tackling. Uh, They, they did not wrap up. They did not tackle well. They did not cover uh, the, the the receivers as well as they could have, and they were a fingernail away from making plays, like I said. Uh, but but I still actually am pretty bullish overall on the Saints as a team. I think they can really put it together. That that defense did do enough to win, so give them credit for that, even though they didn't cover. Uh, and the offense looks like it, it can it could be unstoppable. There's pretty much nothing they can't do. The the running backs. Of course, Ingram and Kamara can do whatever you need them to do, passing uh, or pass catching and running. Uh, Breeze is playing like Breeze. His targets probably don't get as much credit as they deserve. The wide receivers for the Saints, they have some amazing hands, man. They were just snatching balls out of the air and from all sorts of different positions, uh, particularly Michael Thomas made a big impression on me. Like he just – everyone's got a huge catch radius on that team, it looks like. Uh so, so I give the Saints uh, credit for that, and they they look they look pretty uh, formidable going forward as well. You talk about how the Falcons are, are rounding into shape. Uh, the Saints look like it too. I heard more than one uh, outlet talk about uh, road wins coming up this weekend as we get ready to make these picks for the uh, for the Saints and the Falcons uh, going on to the NFC title game, almost as if it was fate accompli. I don't know if I'd go that far. I mean, we haven't made our picks yet, but. I mean, obviously Atlanta here is the road favorite. Uh, they have been the whole week. And, you know, the, the Vikings possess that same immeasurable as a lot of these other teams have. They've got the untested quarterback. And, the, you know, but, and, and, you know, boy, the Vikings and the Jaguars, could they be bigger, like, mirrors of each other? Although the Vikings have had more offensive success and sustained offensive success, which you're talking about just punishing defenses, good at every level, but the big question mark is the quarterback. And they're they're both playing this weekend, so we get we get to see them. I believe uh, we get one tomorrow night, and then we get the other one on uh, on Sunday. That's right. Oh, by the way, one more uh, bizarre situation from the from the weekend. We didn't get. Uh, our our version of what is a catch. We didn't have that episode of our game show uh, this past weekend in the wild cards, but we did have another episode of this dude is clearly concussed and he's not coming out of the game. Cam Newton was concussed. What a love of God. The visor in the eye, my fucking, my fucking ass. The dude was jacked up. They would have played it and celebrated it on ESPN on, on, uh, on the primetime show, if this was if this was ten fifteen years ago, he got drilled. He got his uh, some defender put his his chest plate right into uh, Cam Newton's head and knocked him woozy. And he goes for uh, into the tent for like a hot second. It comes out and he's fine. And Derek Anderson threw one ball and it was incomplete. And uh, Cam Newton came right back out and played. That could have been where where I got the win and the Saints covered the spread because Derek Anderson should have been playing the rest of that game, not Cam Newton, because Cam Newton got his ass jacked up and was clearly concussed and should not have been in that game. I'll I'll agree with you there, but oh, I love those doctors. Oh my God! What what is? 
going on with this protocol? And we, we got independent people on the sideline and independent neurologists in the booth. And we got independent people watching the independent people. And when it comes down to it, eh, he's not really concussed. His visor got in his eye. He's fine. He's fine. Nothing to see here. I believe it might have been Richard Sherman. I might be misquoting, but I believe Richard Sherman was talking about that this week, um, about what a sham this concussion protocol is. How it's not there for the players. It's just there to make the league look like that they pretend that they care. Duh. It, it, well, yeah, I, it was a bit obvious, Richard Sherman. No, really? You, you, you don't say, because how many times do we see, like, the bigger the name – the less severe those concussion symptoms are. Because Cam Newton probably should have been in the tent, then in the locker room, going through all the tests, and Derek Anderson could have been fumbling away the Panthers' season. That's, I think that's how it should have worked out. Cam Newton yeah, was just as slanted and woozy trying to stand up as any other concussion person that you've ever seen. Just as woozy, just as unsure on his feet, had the same faraway look in his eyes, the, the dumplings look that we talk about. And, no, there's no chance he should have been back in that game. Yeah, I'm glad he did. So, with, with that, any uh, any other observations from Wild Card Weekend? No, I mean, that, that, that pretty much sums it up. I mean, we got some games that were just, you know, we, we probably talked more about some of these hideous games like that Jacksonville-Buffalo game that we needed to. Um, the big one we I think we hit the most on was that Kansas City-Tennessee just because of the – that was the most dramatic game. I mean, I, I don't want to call it the, the best game because you're watching a team that probably shouldn't – have been in the playoffs. It did not look like they deserved to be there for the majority of that game against a team that's a, that's a that's a choking dog. But by far and away, that game did provide the most dramatics. So if you were looking for something exciting, Tennessee and Kansas City definitely gave us that. I, I, the rest of the games, just you know, the Atlanta very workmanlike, not very exciting game. Jacksonville and, and, and Buffalo was Drek, and Carolina and New Orleans was at least quality football between two good teams. I am glad that the Saints ended up winning. I had we both had that um, because I was again I was underwhelmed by Carolina all year long. So I think New Orleans was the better team and they deserved to move on. But Carolina, through stretches of that game, did play very well. And like 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 we're talking about, settle for a missed field goal, and then they're kicking more field goals, and New Orleans is getting these big touchdowns. Yeah, I was looking at my little uh, stats again, uh, and I'm looking at uh, the fact that this week we have three different occasions of an elite pass offense versus an, an elite pass defense. And it made me go back, and I wanted to look to see through history what's happened when, when those two entities have matched up against each other. And so, I, you know, I wanted to see. Is there an advantage? Is there a big uh, edge in one or the other when a top pass offense goes against a top pass defense? And the answer is the defense has actually had the slider uh, advantage over the past nine years. They've won – uh, 18 of those games straight up to, to 13 for the offense. Uh, 
uh, but that's more of a recent trend. The offense had been getting the better of the uh, elite defenses uh, years ago, but with the uh, the Legion of Boom and the the Niners defense and the uh, the the Broncos a uh, couple couple years ago, the defense had been turning it around to their side. So just something to keep in mind that the the defenses have been taking over lately, and maybe that's something that might influence somebody's pick, and maybe not. But I'm I'm glad I'm looking up these stats because I'm it's it's creating questions in my mind and wondering what the trends have been throughout the years, and, and I'm I'm glad I've been sitting down and doing the the research and finding out some of these numbers, even if they may not show one big advantage one way or another. Well, you know what I say. I'm glad to. Yeah. Like I said, it's nine years of of research, and and that doesn't look all that great after four games, but the sample size is four. We'll see how they look later on. And it'll be eight. And as long as you keep giving games to me, I'm all for it. Of course. Uh, to get the plugs in real quick, to uh, listen to the show as a podcast after it's over with, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, the TuneIn app, and many other podcasting apps out there. Uh, the only place you can listen to the show live and call in live potentially, like Bryce in Brooklyn did, uh, is the website blogtalkradio.com slash in much less detail. Uh, I believe there's a way you can subscribe on the live site that would notify you when we create a new show date and a new show time so you know when we're on live at that point. Um, usually I tweet out as soon as we go live. Uh, I'm at IMLDDre on Twitter, and Jason is at IMLDJTG. Usually I tweet out live, but I wasn't able to this week because for the first time the board just isn't there for me. It's just a blank slate for some reason. So uh, didn't do that this week. Hey, but normally what I tweet happened? It out. I, I don't know. I, Blog Talk Radio is falling apart piece by piece is what's happening from, from what I can see. Uh, they're still taking our money, of course. Uh, actually, even more hilarious, not, not only are they taking our money, but for the first time in a long, long time, like maybe a couple years, they sent an email to us, and it was a generic email uh, asking were we interested in upgrading our package to the the next highest tier. And I'm like, are you kidding? Are you are you kidding me? The, the way they've been treating us, and they want an upgrade. Give me a break. Anyway, uh, so for the moment, we are live on BlogTalkRadio.com/slash in much less detail. I don't know how how much longer that's going to last. Uh, our picks for this week, this upcoming week, last week, and the past seven years, I believe, um, are up on our blog. The blog site is in much less detail.blogspot.com. And of course, anytime you want to leave a question, a comment, or anything like that, you can send an email to in much less detail at gmail.com. And I think that's about it. You ready for divisional round conference semifinal picks? I'm always ready for the division round. This is my week. Yeah, you do have a history throughout the years of putting together some very impressive uh, records in the conference semifinals, as I call them. I was actually looking through some of the older uh, picks, uh, of course, going through all those stats. And then um, I, I 
have a couple of notebooks from the, the few years before I started doing it on Excel. So I, I the, the notebooks, uh, I go back to, I think, 2007 or 2006. Um, and there, there's, there's, a, there's not enough stats in there for me to put them up on my little spreadsheet, but it was still something uh, interesting to look back on, that even in some of your worst regular seasons, you still managed to put together four and oh weeks in, in the divisional round. It was like, oh, come on, how did he do that? So, yeah, this is definitely the week that you seem to, to get down. So I'm, I'm a little I'm a little worried about that, but we'll see how it breaks. But here it was. It was it was 07 or 08 that completely swept the division round. Like, you and I were going against almost every game, and it totally flipped yeah. our whole season. Like, my whole season was garbage, and then in the division week, I took the lead and, and then won. So you're, you're looking for a repeat. I'm looking for I'm looking for that division round magic this week. So let's bring it on here. Let's let's pick some games. All right, starting tomorrow afternoon. Um, I, I hit the whistle twice, and that, apparently my board isn't working either. So I guess you got full space command tonight because nothing I'm doing is working. There you go. Uh, starting tomorrow afternoon, it will be the Atlanta Falcons and the Philadelphia Eagles, aforementioned uh, road team favorite. First time uh, ever that I was I was hearing that a number one overall seed goes in to the playoffs as a, as an underdog, and we all know why that is. It's because the Eagles will be missing their starting quarterback Carson Wentz, and instead have to go with their backup quarterback. Nick Foles, who did not look uh, like he was going to be up to the task in his couple of outings in the regular season uh, leading up to this game. So as a result, the red-hot 11-6 and Atlanta Falcons are on the road, and they are three-point favorites at the 13-3 and Philadelphia Eagles. Jason, who you got? I'm looking at this game all week. I'm trying to find I'm trying to find that angle. I'm trying to go back through the memory banks and go because well everybody's really talking up Nick Foles. He had that season with 27 touchdowns and only two picks. Right. So I'm thinking in my mind, well, what was so unique about that that 27 and two? What was what was really the the, the deciding difference that Everybody's giving Nick Foles a shot because if you look at his numbers the rest of his career, they're very pedestrian. His numbers this year are are sub that. They are even worse than that. Limited action right now, 5.3 yards per attempt. That's not very good. Uh, quarterback rating under 80. That that nothing nothing's jumping off the page. And I'm like, you know what? That 2013 season, he's eight and two. You know. Elite numbers, you know, over nine yards per attempt, which you would put him in that elite category. And I'm like, wait a minute. Hang on a second. That was Chip Kelly year. That was the year <laughs> that nobody could figure out this Chip Kelly coming over from college. You know, let's wear our defense. We're just going to go, 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 go. And we're just not going to stop. And it's going to be relentless. That was the year. Let's not forget. Chip Kelly also made Mark made Mark Sanchez like a quarterback for a few games before that all fell apart too. In year two under Chip Kelly, every number of Nick Foles went way down. Touchdowns way down, picks way up, all the yards per attempt, yards per completion, everything just in the tank. His, his quarterback rating drops almost 40 points. 
So this whole game is about Nick Foles. Nick Foles is the reason that you have got a six-point swing in this spread. People go, well, wait a minute. It's a three-point. Yes, but you have to figure the home team is always going to get that three-point top-out line. Vegas feels compelled enough to give Atlanta six points the other direction and make the Falcons a three-point favorite going into this game. And I don't have any reason to disagree with that. I'm going to take the Falcons here. I think this is all about Nick Foles. I don't think he's ready for this moment. I think you've got what I saw from Atlanta against a better offensive team, fully stocked and fully loaded last week. What they did defensively to the L.A. Rams, um, it, it made a believer out of me that they could go, in the, at least in the Philly, and handle a team in Philadelphia with without their best quarterback, without their left tackle, without their best linebacker. I mean, Philly is missing very high-level key components, and we've talked about it since Carson Wentz got hurt. That little extra something, that little elusiveness, that 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 little magic, keeping the drives alive, finding guys on impossible routes where where, where there's guys that he's finding open when he's under duress, and you're just like, whoa, you know. Carson Wentz had a lot of those kind of like wow plays. Nick Foles is not going to do that. I, I sense that Atlanta is going to be playing eight, nine, maybe maybe 12, 13 guys in the box. I think they are going to be daring Nick Foles to beat them, and I'm not sure he's going to be up to the challenge. I think that that Atlanta team looks poised and purposeful, and I think the matchups are going to favor them. I think they're going to have a harder time running in this game, but as, as you pointed out, and as what we've seen from that team with Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman, they won't be afraid to just r- run that thing right in there over and over and over, turn it into a possession, you know, uh, time of possession type of game, wear out Philadelphia a little bit, and then when they need it the most, they'll find Julio Jones, they'll find Sanu, they'll, they'll, they'll find their weapons. Those guys will get some. But I have a feeling it's going to be, you know, it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be a lot more of that, you know, that Steve Sarkeesian, that sort of Novocaine offense that Atlanta's been running all year, even though they've managed to finish top 10 offense in the league. You know, a big fall off from, you know, number one in the historic offense. But the production was still there. You look at Julio Jones, everybody all year, oh, here's Julio Jones. Julio Jones had 1,400 yards receiving. And everyone's acting like, it's like, you know, ghost story. Where's Julio Jones? What happened? It was because he only scored three touchdowns. But always mentioning the fact that, oh yeah, that guy who we're all worried about, where the hell did he go? Received for over 1,400 yards. Yeah, it's pretty good. 1,400 yards, not too bad for a guy pulling a disappearing act. I think that he'll be there. Everything looked like, you know, Ryan looked focused. Uh, All the connections that he wasn't making with Julio Jones. He wasn't having a problem making those connections against the Rams. A very good defense in their own right. So I'm actually going to go ahead. I'm going to take Atlanta here. I don't think it's going to be overly high scoring, but I'm going to take Atlanta 23-17. Carson Wentz uh, makes wild plays, and you're not going to see that when Nick Foles. Nick Foles doesn't make wild plays. Nick Foles makes what plays? He makes you plays to go, you go, what? What, what are you doing? What? what why, why did you pull the ball there? Uh, yeah, I uh, 
pretty much see this the, the same way. Uh, I, I will be excited, of course, because it's game one of three of uh, of elite passing offense versus elite passing defense with the Falcons offense against the the Eagles defense. It's the it's also the two most versatile defensive lines in the NFL. So I'm uh, excited to see that as well. Both of these guys, uh, both of these teams uh, have off, uh, have defensive lines that like rotate back and forth and just send guys, uh, send pressure up the middle, send pressure around the end, uh, do all sorts of things, have uh, fresh guys rotating in and out. I don't think either, uh, I don't think there's a, a defensive line in the league that can, can touch either one of these two for versatility. So, and that's rare. That's rare these days in the NFL to have defensive lines that can dictate games. Both of these uh, teams have that, I believe. Uh, you have to go back last season, not this past season, but uh, 2016 to find the last matchup between these two teams. But it's not that long ago. It's week 10 of 2016, so, you know, a little over a uh, year uh, in the past. So it's, it's not that far back. There's a lot of the same guys on those teams. Uh, the Eagles won at home in that game 24-15, to and the story was that the Eagles – outrushed the uh, the Falcons in that game 208 to 48 and when the when the Eagles run game gets going they can really go and you don't want to talk about versatile those guys that they, they go four deep now after that trade for JFJ but uh, as I was talking about last week in, in denigrating the Titans most teams don't run the ball in the playoffs most teams with really good run attacks don't focus on that in the playoffs because everyone's trying to throw the ball because it's it's the playoffs you don't want to go out with your run game and wind up not throwing enough so uh but the titans turn that around so maybe the the trend is, is turning and, and the eagles do the same as well the eagles might be more likely to do that with nick Foles under center than any team because they don't trust nick Foles and then uh, who can really blame them uh, but one matchup i'm watching that should be a mismatch if the falcons really want their best chance at beating the Eagles. And I'm glad Pro Football Focus uh, podcast mentioned this. I'm glad they talked about it because I was thinking about it all week before I even heard their podcast. Adrian Claiborne must abuse the left tackle Vitae. I don't, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that first name, but the, the terrible left tackle from uh, last season, he, he's back. He's playing for the Eagles. He's, he's the starting left tackle and Claiborne needs to go through him all night long like a hot knife through butter. And if he doesn't, I think the, the Falcons might be in some real trouble because that should be a matchup that just gets exploited over and over again. I'm sure the Eagles know that's coming. They'll probably have some help over there for, for Vitae, but if they don't, Claiborne should uh, threaten the, the, the six sacks that he got in one game uh, earlier this year against the Cowboys. Uh, the matchups for this game, uh, the, the Atlanta's, run attack, that fierce two-headed attack, uh, but they get matched up against Philadelphia's fierce, tough, top-ranked veteran run defense, and the Falcons' run game have been trending down uh, before this playoff game uh, against the Rams. So we'll see if they can keep that rebound going or if the Eagles will uh, dictate the terms. I actually think the Eagles will probably have a good day defending the run because they'll be at home and they'll be hyped up. Um, Atlanta, of course, rounding in the form in the passing game, a very dangerous passing game against the Philadelphia uh, elite pass defense. They're fast, they're ball hawking, but uh, the games that I watched, they are they're hard biting. They, they get uh, faked out in, in, in play fake uh, pass uh, coverage, uh, can, can get 
out of position. They can bite hard on those play fakes, so that's something to watch for. Uh, Philadelphia's deep, explosive run attack that I just talked about, and, and they all run hard, every single one of them, whether it's uh, Ajay or, or Wendell Smallwood or, of course, LeGarrette Blunt, uh, even Kenyon Varner, they all run very hard. Um, and they're going to go against Atlanta's fast but light run defense. We've all seen how the Falcons can get pushed around, so that might be a big advantage for the Eagles. But then you go to the air. Philly's severely downgraded passing offense against Atlanta's uh, sometimes leaky but uh, ball-hawking themselves pass coverage. So uh, I expect Nick Foles to maybe find a few leaks here and there, but overall I would expect the Falcons would come to play uh, in pass defense and not let Nick Foles beat them. In the end, I'll say that I'm a little afraid of Philadelphia being uh, that first number one seed ever to be an underdog, that, that can be motivation. That can be powerful. So I can see the Eagles putting forth a really, really spirited effort, especially early in the game. I think they're going to come out all sorts of fired up, and the Falcons are going to have a really, really tough time on their hands. But Atlanta just – they seem free and easy after that New England rematch, the, the 28-3 to thing. I thought that they would play much better after that, and it took a while – but I think they're there now. I think they're where they want to be. And I think that Steve Sarkeesian and Matt Ryan are on the same page and they're doing what they need to do offensively. And I think the Falcons, I'm, I'm agreeing with pretty much everyone else in the betting public, I think the Falcons are set up to make a run. Um, I think the Eagles uh, are, are very tough and will provide a very tough game. In fact, uh, I picked the game. Technically, I picked a push because I have Atlanta winning by three. It smells like a, a pushy line. It smells like a field goal win, but I got to go one side or the other. So I will officially agree with you and take Atlanta because I really do think they're going to win the game. So I'm taking Atlanta 20-17, to 17, but I am calling for Atlanta to uh, to cover the spread along with you. So we're really close there. We both have it in that low 20-17 to 17 kind of game. Very interesting. Yeah, the Eagles are so tough. I, 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 it almost feels disrespectful to make them underdogs in this spot because they're so good, except for for the Nick Foles, uh, Carson Wentz substitution thing. But uh, that's just a bad luck on their part. Yeah, but we've seen this just about every year for the last, I mean, boy, more years than I can count, where you've got a top team that goes in without their quarterback. It never goes well in recent history, whether it's Ryan Lindley or. Oh God, Matt Moore. Who did we have from the, the the Raiders last year? That was almost embarrassing. You know, the, the Connor Cook. Oh God. <laughs> and was their backup was was it Matt McGloin was the backup? Oh. I mean, yeah. it never ends well for these teams with with that backup, no matter how good the team is. I mean, we we saw this with the Cardinals, the Raiders. Now we're seeing it with the Eagles doesn't seem to matter how good that team is that quarterback if if you don't have a guy who's going to go out there and fire on all cylinders in a playoff situation it, it's just not going to happen for you and I don't think Nick Foles is that guy Chip Kelly's not coming back to coach this game Kelly's not walking through that door so uh who's your x-factor my x-factor is uh, uh the Falcons we we talked of course last year when the offense was looking as great as, as it could possibly look about how many different weapons Matty Ice was putting into use and how good some of these guys were looking in very, very limited action. We thought Taylor Gabriel 
maybe was on the verge of breaking out this year because of how good he looked last year, only getting a handful of balls. Well, he kind of took a step back, and then he got hurt. Uh, and then there's a, a new guy that's been sort of stepping up as the – it looks like he's the third option now. This kid, Justin Hardy, looks like he, he's turned into a, a favorite of Matt Ryan, and he's trusting him more and more. So uh, I think as a, as a third guy, if the Eagles can cover and D up Julio Jones a little bit, it's so hard to do. Maybe they'll double team him or something like that. Muhammad Sanu is the second option. I think Justin Hardy is the third option for the Falcons' uh, passing offense. Could have a, a big day for him. Was, 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 is he one of the Hardy boys? Uh, technically. Yeah. He's All a right. Hardy and he's a boy. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going into that five-headed monster that the Eagles have at running back. I'm going to the guy Carson Wentz had the most magic with in the passing game. If Nick Foles is able to tap into that, it could be a a repeat of that James White situation uh, that I don't believe that the Falcons want to ever see again for what happened in that Super Bowl. Another Wisconsin running back, Corey Clement. If Foles is able to utilize some of the running backs out of the backfield where the Falcons are clearly susceptible to, um, could be a long day for Atlanta if Foles can show the maturity to take those types of checkdowns or stay within himself and not try to push the ball down the field. If he tries to get into gunslinger mode, this could get ugly quick. God, I forgot about Corey Clement. They're, they're so deep. They got running backs you forget about. Yeah, I mean, Corey Clement was on the receiving end of what I still think was my favorite play of the year. and You know the play I'm talking about. I mean, Carson Wentz completely under duress flips the ball out to Clement. I don't even know how he saw him. And that, I mean, <laughs> I got to find that clip because that's serious contender for my play of the year. Part of that Houdini season that uh, Wentz was having. To, he was drawing MVP chance for stuff like that. I mean, honestly, totally different game here if that's if that's Carson Wentz. Totally different. On to the Saturday night uh <laughs> football game. It's the New England Patriots hosting the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, some really bad flashbacks uh, for anyone who's a Patriots hater. For uh, New England on Saturday night in Foxborough, uh, there have been some some ass-whoopings handed out over the years by Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and company. And this one, according to the odds makers, will not be any different because the 10-7 Titans, now with that win last week, the most important least impressive 10-win playoff team uh, in NFL history, perhaps. Uh, the Titans are 13-point underdogs at the 13-3 and New England Patriots, even with all the turmoil that the Patriots are having. What would the spread be if the Patriots weren't falling apart internally uh, inside their buildings, as we are reading in some uh, particular media outlets? Uh, they might be 16-point favorites again like they were against Houston a few years ago. And no, I'm not still bitter about that. Why do you ask? Really, I'm over that. The Titans, uh, coming back from obscurity last week against the Chiefs and finding a way to win that game somehow, some way, uh, it's, again, such an upset for a, a team to rely on their running in the playoffs. It just doesn't happen. I, I, I did the numbers. I, I'm not completely crazy. I know I sound crazy, but I'm not. It, it's so rare for it to happen, but they did it. Now, on the other side, of course, is uh, – where the, the beatdowns occur is when the Patriots have the ball and, and the Titans are on defense. 
that is why this is a 13-point spread is because teams that go into New England against Tom Brady uh, in this divisional round uh, tend to get whooped and whooped badly. So you've had defenses come in. Uh, that Houston defense was, was top-notch uh, and, and somehow did not cover the 16-point the spread. Uh, the, the, the other top defenses that have come in over the years uh, that have not covered that have been uh, double-digit underdogs and have not covered. Uh, really the only team over the years uh, that has a decent defense that has come into New England and given them any kind of trouble, of course, would be the Baltimore Ravens. And that's what we were talking about before the uh, the Ravens got knocked out of the playoffs in Week 17, where if they could make the playoffs and, and win a, a first-round game and make their way up to New England, they would be the team that would – give New England trouble because they're the ones that we know are not afraid of New England. We know that they will play them tough, but no Ravens. Instead, we get the Titans and we get a 13-point spread. So this is uh, this is Dick LeBeau is now the latest coach that's tasked uh, with the job of trying to go to New England and find the defense that can sort of tame and, or handle Tom Brady and, and keep from getting blown out. So, uh, He's got, he's the latest one tasked with deciphering it. He's got zone blitzes. He's got all sorts of exotic packages. He's got uh, so many years of experience. He's been uh, in the NFL as a player or a coach, as everybody knows, for the past 651 years. And so he's he's going to be the, the latest guy. We'll see how it works out uh, with the Titans' defense, which was good but not elite. They're, they're very good. They're very solid. They They don't get blown out. They don't get – uh, embarrassed normally, so uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, but it's not just big plays that the Patriots make that that make them so tough. It's drawing pass interference in different situations, and I think the Titans' defense is going to be one of those that you're going to see the Patriots do a lot of double moves, a lot of uh, maybe light pushing off by the offense and trying to draw the defense to push them back to get the defensive flags thrown against them. I think. Tennessee's going to play that tight man coverage that's going to make New England uh, try to draw a lot of flags instead of trying to make a lot of deep plays downfield. So we'll see how it plays out. Uh, Tennessee can leave the middle wide open as they come for the quarterback. They have a good pass rush, but they can uh, leave the, the, the middle zone just completely wide open. And I think Tom Brady is pretty much the last quarterback you want to leave the middle open uh, behind you, and Alex Smith could not take advantage of that last week. Uh, Tom Brady is a, is a different cat, as we all know. In the matchups, it is the Tennessee rejuvenated uh, Derrick Henry-led run attack. We'll see if they go two weeks in a row relying on that uh, versus New England's uh, sort of rubbery run defense. They can lose running backs in space easily, so that should be a matchup the Titans take advantage of. Uh, on the, in the air, it's the Tennessee's shaky passing game. They're in trouble with Marcus Mariota has to throw, and Mike Malarkey knew that, so he just said, okay, don't don't throw. We'll just run the ball and come back against the Chiefs, so that worked out for them, but it's that shaky passing game versus New England's pass D that gets uh, that got abused early in the season uh, a lot, but they improved. Uh, got to give them credit. I don't know exactly how Matt Patricia did it, but he, he turned the, the defense not totally around, but they played a lot better than they had uh, at the beginning of the year, and if you read the reports that is resulting in Matt Patricia being uh, first in line for apparently the Giants' head coaching job, so he's going to be moving on uh, whenever the Patriots get knocked out. 
Uh, on the New England side of the ball, offensively, they have a balanced uh, thunder and lightning type of run game that sort of developed between Deion Lewis, the lightning back, uh, and uh, Rex Burkhead has been sort of tr- providing the thunder uh, against Tennessee's stout run defense patrolled by Wesley Woodyard and a lot of veterans back there. That should be a pretty good matchup. And, of course, in the air, the big one, the slice and dice, Brady-led passing offense against Tennessee's uh, good tight coverage and, and good pressure on defense. Uh, they're not quite elite, like I said, but they are solid, and we'll, we'll see if that's enough to, to cover the number. Uh, I think uh, in the end, Tennessee, I uh, just – believe they were outplayed badly for most of that game uh, against Kansas City and the Chiefs let them back the Chiefs let them come back and take that game at the end the Patriots don't really allow comebacks if the Patriots get you down they put you down if they have a chance to put a bullet in the back of your head and end the misery they generally do it so for all the stuff that I've been talking about the Patriots all year that they're not as motivated as last year and they're not going to win the Super Bowl again. They just can't make it back there. Uh, and th- that defense is so terrible, they can't overcome that. For this game against this Titans team that had been so unimpressive until they made that comeback last week, um, I think this is a, a low enough bar for the Patriots to once again look like the Patriots. This is sort of their time Saturday night uh, into the, in the divisional round in the conference semis. This is, they, they sort of own this. And I'm going to trust the, the Patriots to come out on top and cover the number, uh, not taking them to, to blow the Titans out because the Titans are solid. So I'll say New England 30, Tennessee 16. It's barely a cover, but it is indeed a cover. Yeah, not to you know take away from any of the dramatics of the show, but I have to completely agree with you here. I don't think that New England is going to look any different than they've looked all year. They're not going to look impressive. You're going to be like, wow, how is this team, you know, 13-3? and three? How have they been this good? And then you look up the scoreboard at the end of the game, and they covered another huge number. I'm, I'm completely with you on this. I wouldn't be shocked if we had ourselves a close game, even into the third quarter. You know, maybe Tennessee can find some magic, and they can really get Henry going. But New England, you know, and Bill Belichick, they thrive on, on taking away your best thing. They are going to force Marcus Mariota to win this game. So it's either just going to be the sheer will and talent of Derrick Henry being able to overcome a stuffed box that entire game, or Mariota's going to actually have to make some plays with his arms and his legs and, and put that team on his back. He might be able to for a very short period of time, enough to keep this game close for a little bit. We may end up with a bit of a disinterested New England team early on in the game, but I think you're going to look up at the score at the end of the game. I've got this uh, New England 28-10. to 10. Um, I think it's going to be, again, it's very workmanlike. Brady's going to have his, his thing working. But the fact that the Titans know that they have to run the ball, I think is just going to kind of keep this a little shorter. I mean, we all have memories of that, you know, 59-0 game that they played against the Titans up in the snow back in 09. Nobody could ever forget that game. I, I, I still have memories of that where you're watching an actual, an actual blizzard going on and you've got one team that's moving the ball up and down the field at will and another team looks like they, they've never seen snow in their lives. Like, they just don't know what they're doing. Hopefully we don't get 
that type of a result in this game. But this is also a far cry from, you know, the 09 Patriots. You know, Randy Moss isn't coming into the building. Uh, you know, Tom Brady has been slowly diminishing as the season has gone on. I mean, it, you know, his, his December's not quite his month. His playoff runs the last couple of years. I mean, he hasn't played exceptional. Well, he played a good fourth quarter against the Falcons in the Super Bowl and played three quarters look like absolute ass before that so we know that he can be had and the key is you know if there's only one thing that you can boil this down to for Tennessee and you can't it's not Derrick Henry it's not Marcus Mariota it's can you get on Tom Brady can you sustain a rush and make him get off his spot like the Giants did in their Super Bowl twice like the Falcons did for three quarters before they ran out of gas in their Super Bowl can the Titans sustain pressure on Tom Brady? Because it doesn't matter. You can be one of the greatest quarterbacks. A good pass rush will make you look like a fairly average quarterback or a mediocre quarterback or even worse. And we've seen Tom Brady under pressure will force balls. He'll make bad decisions. He'll throw balls up for grass. But the key is, is if they don't get pressure and they don't throw the timing and the rhythm of that offense off, it's it's over. So I've got it as, you know, we've, we've got it not in the like total blowout territory here, but I just don't, I don't think the Titans just have enough horses to keep up. It's just, it's just not, it's just not there. This is, if there is, you know, there's a reason why this is a 13 point spread. This is on paper, a horrific mismatch completely. So keeping in that theme that the Titans need to get some pressure. I'm once again, going to the losing team here, in my opinion, for, my X factor and, you know, talk about people who sort of disappeared and you didn't really think about much (laughs) in their NFL careers. It took me a while to realize that Brian Arakpole was on the Tennessee Titans. The man whose name means sack, if you remember the commercial, needs to show up. His name means sack. If his name means sack, he needs to go out there and get minimum three against Tom Brady and make his presence felt. And, and let that D-line and linebacker core, maybe at the expense of selling out and exposing that middle, but getting Tom Brady off of his game enough that he's not able to connect with those passes over the middle up the seam to Gronk. So I'm going with Brian Arakpo if the Titans have any chance to make an impact. Man, if if you call the shot and Arakpo gets three sacks, I think we can retire the X, the, the X factor in your name. It'll be the officially be the Jason X Factor of the game. So you um, you mean it's not the Trendon Holiday X Factor of the game? <laughs> I don't know that if was... I'll ever top. I do not know if I will ever top <laughs> Holiday as my X Factor. Yeah, I still can't believe it. The, when he's running back that touchdown, I'm like, oh come on, really? Seriously? Oh. I think it was two touchdowns. Two of them. Yeah. Yeah, on the team right. I had lose the game. I believe that was the Joe Flacco 70-yard bomb to win the game that won me the pick. Oh. And my double overtime? For the losing team. I, I will never top that. But if Brian Arakpo goes out and gets three sacks, that'd be pretty close. Yeah. Uh, my X-Factor is the uh, Patriots have been 
coming back and trending upward in past defense, as I said, and part of that is uh, having a healthier Stephon Gilmore at cornerback who started the season injured. So if he can keep that going and, and make sure that Mariota doesn't have any success, he does have some talented receivers. It's not one of the greater receiving cores in the game, but Corey Davis has shown a lot of different flashes, and uh, uh, Eric Decker is the possession guy. Uh, don't know who Gilmore would be assigned to, uh, I'm assuming Davis, uh, but he needs to have a big game. They, they they have a lot of struggles in coverage, the Patriots do, and, and they got Gilmore specifically to shore that up, and, and he needs to uh, continue his pretty good play in order for the Patriots to advance farther in the playoffs. Two games down, and we agree already twice. I feel great about that, considering your record in the divisional round. <laughs> On to Sunday afternoon action. The Jacksonville Jaguars and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Got a little bit of a preview of that from Brighton, Brooklyn, earlier in the show. Jacksonville, 10-6, and six, now 11-6 and six after that ugly win last week over Baltimore. And Pittsburgh continuing the trend of 13 and three home teams. All four home teams this week uh, were indeed 13 and three in the regular season. This is uh, this also continues to trend this week of elite passing matchups versus elite passing defensive matchups. This is the Pittsburgh Steelers elite passing offense against the Jaguars elite number one ranked passing defense. And we know what happened the first time they got together in Week Five: Jacksonville 30, Pittsburgh nine and Ben Roethlisberger questioning his existence. Uh, the public does not think that the Jaguars will do the same this time because Jacksonville is a seven-point dog at Pittsburgh. Jason, what's your pick? Probably the pick that I feel the least good about this week, overall in general, because, you know, there's that side of me that doesn't want to completely dismiss that 30 to nine game. There's that part of me that's felt that selfish side of me that wants to see Jacksonville go to new England just to see what that defense can do to Tom Brady. We're talking about possibly getting pressure on Tom Brady for Tennessee. If they want to stand a chance to even compete Jacksonville legitimately, I know could go into new England and make Tom Brady look human and make him look like a total chump because they've been doing that to good quarterbacks all year long. They did it to Ben Roethlisberger to the tune of five interceptions. I just don't think it's going to happen. As much as it pains me to have to take the Steelers and a big number because of how their track record covering these big numbers against teams that they should handle is pathetic. When we did our little study and five games left to go, who has the easiest schedule, who should we take? And we said, well, the Steelers are jumping off the page, but they're probably not going to cover these games. They'll probably win these games and not cover. And damn it, I mean, they, I think they went like one and four against the spread down the stretch. It was horrific what that team did playing down to the level of their competition. And here I am again, taking the Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, my God. I mean, how can you take a team in the Steelers this late in the season with their record and feel like you've fallen into a trap. We're caught in a trap. I can't walk out. It's killing me. You know how much this hurts me right now, taking the steel oh, yeah. in this spot. 
I mean, Jacksonville is going into an even bigger moment. And this isn't a regular season game where they can sneak in and sort of like lay in the weeds and trap the Steelers and catch them off guard. This is a playoff game. I don't care about any distractions. You know, you got Le'Veon Bell being an idiot. Mike Tomlin is already talking about New England a month ago. I don't care. Pittsburgh is the better team. My only concern, my major worry for Pittsburgh is still going to be, is that defense going to be soft where Ryan Shazier is missing because they've been completely different since he's been gone, and that's going to not help them against Fournette. That's not going to help them, you would think, a little bit in the passing game or with the pass rush. But when the quarterback on the other side is Blake Bortles, you can almost call that out as a wash. I don't think Bortles is going to put enough pressure on the Pittsburgh defense that missing Shazier in the coverage game is going to end up mattering, but it could potentially cause some problems for them covering the run game. You know, this is the number one running offense in the league coming in in Jacksonville. So that does give me a little bit of pause and a little bit of concern. I don't think this is necessarily blowout territory either, although I've got Jacksonville losing by more than seven. I see this as a low-scoring, take-the-under, very tight game, a lot of field goals, a lot of hard hits, a lot of defense. Um, I worry, you know, Antonio Brown hasn't played in a while. If, if he goes out and he gets jacked up and he gets knocked out early, could this be a Travis Kelsey situation all over again? Because that completely takes away a lot of the dynamic potential of that Pittsburgh offense. But I'm going to go with the reports, and they're all saying Antonio Brown's fine and he looks amazing. So I'm going to go with that. I'm taking Pittsburgh here. Low scoring, 19-9. to nine. Almost as ugly sounding as last week. Oh, it's going to be Not ugly. Not quite, though. We're talking, of course, about week five, Jacksonville 30, Pittsburgh 9, making Ben question uh, whether he wants to keep playing, whether he's still got it anymore. Uh, that was a fascinating game. Jacksonville defense with five interceptions in that game. Jacksonville gets the reputation for Saxonville because of multiple games with 10 sacks or more this season. It wasn't about the sacks in this game. They only had two sacks. It was about the, the interceptions of, of Ben Roethlisberger, the repeated taking of the ball away from Big Ben. Five picks, including two pick sixes. Uh, Fournette ran for a buck 81 and two touchdowns in that game. That was with Ryan Shazier. Uh, the Steelers were uh, – Ben was questioning himself. The Steelers were questioning, if you remember, the use of Le'Veon Bell because he only got 15 carries for 47 yards, and the Jaguars at the time were giving up 4.7 yards per carry. So the players are like, hey, what gives? We need to run the ball more. And Mike Tomlin set out to specifically use Le'Veon Bell more and run the ball more as the, as the weeks went on after that. But in general, uh, Le'Veon Bell didn't really run nearly as much this year as probably the, the Steelers and their fans would have wanted him to. Uh, but, yeah, that game was just uh, amazing. And you talk about Pittsburgh playing down to their competition. I think the Steelers' attention was earned that week by the Jaguars. I don't think you have to worry about the Steelers playing down to the Jaguars this time. I think they're fully aware of who the Jaguars are and what they're capable of. And I think they're going to be ready for Jacksonville uh, on Sunday. Uh, you talked about Shazier's injury and what's happened uh, to Pittsburgh's run defense since then. 
by the numbers, they've had a massive drop in their pass defense, and I think it all sort of plays into each other. I think with the big gaps in run D that they try to shore that up, they leave more room in the pass defense. Uh, it might have been even, an even worse drop-off than their run defense just by the numbers. Uh, since that injury, they, their pass defense has been highlighted, giving up a 400-yard game to Matthew Stafford, a 300-yard game to Marcus Mariota, uh, and 300, of course, uh, in a losing effort, uh, but they did cover the spread to Deshaun Kaiser and the Cleveland Browns. Uh, in week 17, in that in that 0-16 game, Cleveland did actually stay within uh, enough points to cover the number because the Steelers were having trouble stopping the pass. So here comes uh, Blake Bortles and the Jaguars looking as terrible as they could look in the passing game, but maybe there's an opening for them to have some success. Uh, the matchups look like this. Jaguars trending down in their running game. Leonard Fournette, unfortunately, as big of a fan as I was of him coming out of college, I thought he should have been eligible to get in the NFL even sooner than he was. Uh, he, he's unfortunately had the type of season that makes you go, yeah, maybe he wasn't mentally ready, uh, emotionally, physically, uh, that he started a house of fire and he's been trending down, uh, not nearly as powerful as he was earlier uh, in the season. Uh, going against Pittsburgh, of course, trending down run defense, uh, very much on the whole without their uh, stud tackle machine in the middle, Ryan Shades there. So, so the battle of two trending downward uh, entities there. Uh, and then Jacksonville, of course, very brutal, Wardles-led passing offense against Pittsburgh's uh, pass defense seems to not just be trending downward, but has an identity problem as well. If we remember that, uh, that New England game where they were trying to match up zone and uh, switch off between man and zone and Seemed like they didn't know which way they wanted to go. They had so many problems with their zone, uh, trying to put, put in more man coverage and have some success, but uh, that's not what they do best. That's not what they're comfortable doing. So they need to figure things out on that end. But fortunately, again, they're playing Blake Bortles this week, so they don't really have to do too much worrying about that. On the other side, it's Pittsburgh's uh, rested, underutilized run game. I think the uh, the fact that Le'Veon Bell didn't get nearly as many carries this year as you would think. The Steelers were 20th in rushing offense this year, which is a big surprise. Um, I think this is where it pays off. It may, maybe there was some geniusness going on there by the, the Steelers' offensive caretakers, uh, Todd Haley and company. I think maybe they wanted to use Le'Veon Bell less on purpose so that he'd have more left in the playoffs. So we'll see how much they use him on Sunday. So a rested run game against the Jacksonville run D, still young and still sort of over-pursuing things. They can still uh, get caught rushing upfield to the quarterback and, and forgetting about the running back. So should be some draw plays available for Bell to have some big runs. And then, of course, the big matchup, the elite pass offense and the elite pass defense, uh, that loaded offense with the returning Antonio Brown. Anyone's guess uh, how effective he's going to be, as good as he is. He hasn't played since week 15, uh, going against that Jacksonville patient, uh, no blitzing top rated pass defense. That's the thing that makes them so di uh, difficult is that they get pressure and they don't even have to send extra guys. They, they don't hardly have to blitz you, uh, to have uh, an effect on the, on the passing game. But in the end, uh, this is going to be about attitude to me that, that game in week five looms large that the Steelers got embarrassed, got embarrassed at home 
had their quarterback questioning his existence. Um, and, and on the other side, the Jaguars' uh, identity and their attitude, I think, is also an issue. They are young. They are cocky. They have been talking shit from the moment this season began just about. They, they're good. They're not, maybe they're not as great as they think they are, but they're good, and they know it, and they let you know it. And I think they're set up for a humbling. I think they're going to uh, get Ben remembering what happened and remember feeling like he didn't have it anymore, and the Steelers are going to remember what happened and, and feeling how they felt after that game. And I think the score may even be bigger than what I'm predicting, which is 27 to 10 in favor of the Steelers. Uh, it may be a bigger score, and it may feel like a, a bigger score than that. I think uh, what the Steelers do to the Jaguars, I think it's going to be very humbling. I think it's going to be very one-sided. Um, and I think the Steelers are going to get all the revenge that they can possibly get and take it out on the Jaguars on Sunday. Well, and I'll tell you, one of the things that you got to watch out for in this game and, and where it could get really interesting is if the Jaguars get an interception early. Oh. If if that if they or you know if it's the first drive or the second drive and 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 Ben throws a ball in there and got another situation where somebody jumps in front or he throws it in the coverage and, and he gets picked off. Well, you want to talk about you know like Alex Smith and Andy Reid? You start getting those wheels turning. The biggest thing that Ben can do to get inside of his own head is go out there and, and throw a pick right away because that could really make this game interesting. I want a good game. I think this has got the potential to be the best game of the weekend. It's got the potential. I don't think that it will be, but it's definitely got the potential to be a really good game. And like I said, secretly deep down inside, I'm kind of rooting for Jacksonville. Yeah, I, I can, I am as well. And I'm, I'm going against my own – trends by saying that the the elite D the elite defenses have come out on top lately. I'm going with the elite offense two games in a row with Atlanta and now with, with Pittsburgh, but I just feel like the Steelers are, are ready to show Jacksonville what they're really made of uh, coming off. I'm sure Pittsburgh has been hearing all week about that game in week five, about 30 to nine and, and five interceptions and all that. And I think they're going to be all sorts of ready to, to come out and, and kick Jacksonville's ass. This one felt kind of obvious for me. I couldn't go anywhere else but Pittsburgh linebacker Sean Spence as my X factor. You take over for Ryan Shazier, you watch that pass defense and rush defense go to shit. As a big spotlight shining on you, buddy, for good or for bad, he's my X factor. Well, the game could also turn on the Jaguars getting enough of a pass rush and, and affecting Ben Roethlisberger and maybe forcing him into more mistakes. We know Calais Campbell will be there to, to create pressure, but the, the other guy that's been really doing a great job and sort of emerged out of nowhere this year for the Jaguars, my X factor is the, the young man Yannick Ngakwe, who had some choice words uh, said to him apparently by uh, the, the classiest of individuals, Richie Incognito, last week uh, against Buffalo. But uh, if Ngakwe can combine with Campbell to have a big day pressuring Ben Roethlisberger, then they can absolutely affect the outcome of this game. All right. Well, three for three. I may end up having to disagree with you on one of these games if we go four for four. That's right. You're playing catch up. You're, you're nine points down. Right. So, I mean, it's not all hope is not lost if I agree with you uh, on every game, but it gets like basically really dicey if i don't disagree with you on both games next week then i'm just playing for a tie eh, I don't know, who plays for ties 
Come on. You play to win the game. Hello. Uh, <laughs> uh, Sunday afternoon uh, after the Jaguars and Steelers game will be the New Orleans Saints and the Minnesota Vikings. This is the third of the three games uh, with top-ranked passing offenses versus a top-ranked passing defense. The Saints uh, flying high on offense against the Vikings as steady as they come in pass defense should be a great game, should be a great matchup. Uh, thankfully, because of that wonderful Midwestern weather that we're all experiencing, thankfully this is in a dome or else it would be a really, really ugly game to have to watch. Uh, but indoors, it'll be New Orleans at 10-5, uh, and five, now 11-5 and five against Minnesota, 13-3. and three. Saints are five-point underdogs at the Case Keenum-led Minnesota Vikings. And for this one, I go back to how different both of these two teams are. They played this season on Monday night in week one, but there's so many things that are different from that game. The Vikings won 29-19 behind this guy, Sam Bradford, you may have heard of him, who uh, had a very nice game, 27-32 for 346 yards and three touchdowns. And I remember at the time thinking, this is the best game by a mile I've ever seen Sam Bradford had. What is going on here? Uh, Is the Saints defense that terrible, or is uh, Bradford actually turned a corner? Uh, And we got the answer to that is uh, a little bit of both. Uh, uh, The Vikings were helped out big time in their efforts by uh, a running uh, performance by Dalvin Cook of 22 carries for 127 yards. He, of course is injured and, and on IR. Uh, the Saints had problems mixing in their running backs. They gave six carries to Adrian Peterson for a grand total of 18 yards. They did not have much use for Adrian Peterson after that game, and he was very shortly thereafter uh, jettisoned. Oh, how much has changed from that one game. New Orleans' uh, only touchdown catch was by Kobe Fleener. He's on IR. There's so many guys on this uh, in this game that aren't going to be there uh, for this game on Sunday, for this rematch on Sunday. Uh, I think both teams getting pressure is really key. Uh, will Minnesota allow the Saints to pressure Case Keenum? The Saints don't really have too much of a, of a of a pressure attack. They really have one good pass rusher, and that's Cameron Jordan. Uh, but the Vikings do struggle uh, in protection, so that could really change a lot of things if they let Case Keenum get pressured. Uh, and will be able to hold off Everson Griffin and the rest of that talented Vikings defense. Griffin specifically may have the best get-off in the entire league. He gets off the ball, gets off the snap so well, so consistently. He is really, really good at that, and I, I really want to see what the Saints do to try to uh, to contain him. The matchups are the New, uh, New Orleans dynamic run game against the Vikings lane-filling, wall-building, run defense. This might be a, a push to the Saints as good as they are on the ground. Uh, the Vikings really stuff up the run. They were second in the league in run defense this year. New Orleans, a uh, very calm pass game. The calm assassin, as I call Drew Brees, that's my nickname for him because he never panics. He's never in a hurry, and he, he just surgically gunning you down. He's so good. Uh, it's still at the top of his game, it would appear. Uh, versus that Minnesota elite swarming pass covers. They got guys, uh, Trey Waynes and uh, Xavier Rhodes, that will swarm to the ball, will swarm to the receivers and cut off and undercut 
Uh, they're so good in, in all aspects in, in pass coverage. So just a, a tremendous matchup that's going to be in Minnesota. Uh, on the other side, Minnesota's uh, boy, they're they're really going to be lacking Dalvin Cook in that run game because uh, the rest of those guys are good, Latavius Murray and Jarek McKinnon, but they're not Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook looked like he was developing into uh, one of the top all-around backs already as a rookie uh, before he got hurt. So that run game against New Orleans, run D, they're kind of soft up the middle, kind of like the Ravens. I remember the Vikings had a game against the Ravens that they won. They ran right up the middle. Uh, Jared McKinnon just took right off, and you may get a big run or two like that in this game as well. Uh, the Vikings' swift offense under Pat Shermer, whether it was Bradford or Case Keenum, they were they were quick. They were swift. They did what they wanted to do through the air, and they did it quickly. They didn't really mess around. Uh, versus New Orleans, the athletic but sort of out-of-place playmaking defense that's sort of their hallmark now. They they look like they can be completely in the wrong spot, but they do make plays and, and, and seem like they've been but don't break. Uh, so this one, I think, might be the most compelling matchup of the weekend. Uh, in the end, New Orleans, everything is trending up for them right now. They're playing so well. Minnesota's run game struggling. I think that's going to hurt their balance overall. I think the uh, the Saints will be able to concentrate more on the air because they don't have to worry as much about the run game without Dalvin Cook. Uh, and I think the Saints, uh, once again, I'm going to go with the elite offense over the elite defense. I'm not taking any of the three elite defenses, and I'm kind of surprised myself by doing that, but I think the the, the Saints and the, and the Falcons, I hinted at it a little bit earlier in the show, they're they seem to be on a collision course. They're both playing so well. Uh, and I think the Saints are going to upset the Vikings uh, in Minnesota and ruin the Vikings' dream of playing a home Super Bowl game. I got the Saints winning 24-17. to 17. All right. Well, we agree on this one as well. So, wow. How about that? Four for four ah. division weekend. I don't know if I should be excited or scared that you agree with me on all four of the division games. So we'll just get this out of the way because I don't want to have to, you know, play for the play for the tie. So I'm going to have to disagree with you probably on both games next week anyways, unless I can sneak a win out from you here because if I'm down nine or if I'm down 12, that's actually the same as far as our numbers go. So go ahead and flip me right now over to Jacksonville. Ah. Going with my heart is the one I'm going to disagree with you on, even though you know I basically picked the Steelers, but flip me over to Jacksonville for the sake of what we do. I have that right being in, in the behind position here, but I completely agree with you. I actually have the Vikings winning this game, so I was going to get a little cute. I've got this Vikings 24-23. I've got this as a very tight game, but I do believe in that defense. I think that we have knocked on or not expected that Vikings offense all year. And, you know, this could be a Jared Goff situation or a situation like we're going to see unfolding with Bortles. What what are these guys going to do when they get to the playoffs? I think Case Keenum has been playing with this sort of chip on his shoulder all year long anyways. And that is a very well-coached team. And they do have the benefit of being at home in a great spot with good fans. And they just so happen to have, even though it might not statistically be the best defense in football, when you watch them play, they look like one of the most well-rounded best defenses in football. 
And, again, there's no weaknesses at any level. They have great safety play. They have good corner play. They have good linebackers, and they can get to the quarterback. So you're really hard-pressed to find the weakness in that defense. And I think the Saints are going to have trouble consistently all game long. Carolina put some stuff on tape against them in that big loss that when the, when Carolina beat Minnesota in the, in the ground game. So I don't think uh, Minnesota is going to be had again. I think they're going to be stout. I think this is going to be a back-and-forth type game. I wouldn't be shocked if we end up with some with a big special teams play, uh, if it's a turnover, touchdown, you know, defensive touchdown. I think something's going to go that way, go right for the Vikings. Uh, and they do have a great – Cheryl, they have, I mean, that's a great return game that they have too. So they've got every aspect taken care of. And their offense, I mean, we, we don't talk enough about – or we make we mockingly talk about guys like Adam Thielen who has, I mean, look at the numbers he put up. I mean, 1,200 receiving yards. Uh, it's just crazy what they've been able to, to sort of squeeze out of that team with all the injuries that they've had. I'm going to go, we're running short on time here. I'm going to go right to my X Factor. I know it'll make cats over at Football Fan Rush Radio happy. Um, I'm going with Vikings wide receiver Laquan Treadwell. How much hype in the world does this guy have? Here you are. You're in the playoffs. You're going to get a chance to go out there, make a big play, double move, go deep, make that exciting play, get the Vikings that, that element that they're missing because they make a lot of plays, but what they're missing is that, that element where they can just go out and get a bomb. I need a, I need a 70-yard touchdown bomb, you know, something like that for the Vikings to really go out there and kind of put a little stunner on the Saints and back them off a little bit. If you wanted to make Cass happy, you go with Teddy Bridgewater as your X Factor. I recall her thinking that he was just the coaching was holding him back. If they would just call more downfield plays for Teddy Bridgewater, he could just be this the stud All Pro quarterback. Apparently, and, and you know I'm a fan of Teddy, so I, I like Teddy Bridgewater. I was not as down as a lot of people were on him, so I know we had that conversation when we met up with them last April. Yeah, I hope we can meet up again with them in April as well. That was fun. Uh, Brandon Coleman is uh, out for this game for the Saints. He had been developing into a, a playmaker uh, third or fourth option for them. So this opens up uh, room for a return for my X Factor, a guy who had been uh, trusted by Drew Brees over the past couple of years but had fallen out of favor this year. I'm going with Willie Sneed to maybe step up and make some plays uh, in the slot for the New Orleans Saints. That is my sort of off the the beaten path X factor right there. All right, so we technically agree on every game. Technically, so just to recap, just to clarify, you're disagreeing on one game on purpose this week, uh, and just the one. You're you're taking Jacksonville and the seven points over the Steelers, even though you actually like the Steelers to win that one. Right. That's the I'm going with my heart on that. All right, and of the and of the picks I've made, that feels like the one that could go the other way, just on how solid that Jacksonville defense is. That's the pick I won. I said it when I made the pick. That was the one I was the least sure of. Well, if you're going to change a pick, you might as well do it on the one you're the least sure of. All right, uh, that brings us into our after-show program. I started the music, and it's. The the counter is running, but are you hearing anything? Is it, is it no. just running? Yeah. No. Okay. 
you're you're you've only you've had very limited board access here tonight. So, oh, wow. I, I mean, sing the song of yeah, no, no, it's not going to work. <laughs> Sometimes it worked. I, I my I got the whistle to work after it failed earlier. So sometimes some things worked and some things didn't. And I don't know, very very frustrating, like you said. Unfortunately, my audio again couldn't work. So very frustrating because the last show I did everything exactly the same as I did it today and last show it worked perfect and tonight I'm sitting there on the headset and I'm talking and I can hear you clear as a bell and I'll say hello are you there? And it's like oh god are you kidding me? Yeah it's it's to the point where one of us has to email these people at Blog Talk Radio and say hey we got some issues and we need them taken care of. I, I don't have any confidence that anything is going to come of it, but I will absolutely uh, email these people uh, after I get off the air. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm in the show on time. I'm waiting. I'm in as the host. I've got audio. I can hear the girl talking in my head telling me how much time it is before the show, and then nothing's coming from me to you. And it's just, yeah, a very helpless feeling. But we did, you know, I was talking. I got on the phone. We're fine now. All is good. We're on the air. We're fine. It may be even something as simple as if someone is calling in and trying to get in right as the show is starting, then that knocks the, the audio out for some reason. Because I, I didn't mean to, to call in as the show was starting. I was, again, running late. I was, again, crunching my little numbers and making my last-minute picks and, and, and all of that. And wound up getting in a lot later than I expected to. But it, it might be as simple as if I get in before the show officially starts, then everything will work out just fine. Yeah, I don't know if it has something if I'm checking you in. So, yeah, next show, if you can be a few minutes early, get the audio tested yeah. out. <laughs> that yeah, way you, we you've, been, you've been asking me for a few weeks to do that, and I haven't uh, I haven't made it yet, but I, I will yeah, vow to do that. So I'm, uh, this, I'm just going to text you next I'll, all in, damn it. <laughs> Stop looking at your gay-ass numbers and call in. Yeah, I, I, I got it. I got it. <laughs> that was a homophobic right. slur. Uh, I, I can't I, believe I, you did. No, I, I didn't say it. That's the, the new lesson we learned this week now from our, our president. <laughs> if you say something that people take a fist, just say, I didn't say it, even though you no. said it. I didn't you say that. What? You know, I'm always of the opinion double down and just own it. But yeah, I said right. that. So what? Yeah, I said So yeah, I said, I said, Haney's a shithole. Prove me wrong. <laughs> well, his supporters are doing it for him, but, but he doesn't have the ball to do it. So. No. Double down. We had the, we had our guest on the show, you know, back down to his wife after he said, you know, the, this was the, 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 Cowboys <laughs> fan, the Cowboys fan who apparently his wife made him take it down after he saw Carson Wentz get hurt. I'm like, no, own it. But yeah, I said it? it. Yeah. I hate it when you see all this garbage about people who post these tweets and then they delete them. And delete them. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say that. You still did it. No, I didn't. It's not on my. Oh my God! I'm reading the news today. There's this girl out in California complaining about the traffic on the 101 because she's gonna she's gonna miss something that like her boyfriend's rap concert and the traffic was backed up and she was all mad. 
didn't realize it was because of all the people that were dead in the mudslide. <laughs> I don't know who her PR agent is. It must be like Colin Kaepernick, Mr. Storm's coming himself. Hashtag Storm's coming. Yeah. I hadn't seen Houston that underwater since Whitney. <laughs> he didn't say that, I don't think. But... No, I said that. <laughs> Oh, okay. That's you doubling down? <laughs> yeah, you got your sunglasses out for that one. I had to. <laughs> so so she deleted her tweet when she... Uh... I get those ones that even make you go, oh, man, what? <laughs> I've got a history I haven't been at underwater since Whitney. Oh. Yeah, we... <laughs> We, we we spread all fields. We we get the the crackheads. We get the, yeah. the the shitholes. We get the people dead in the mudslides. We get them all. So she did she delete her tweet once she found out how insensitive she was being. Well, of course, but of no, course you said it. Yeah. You just, you own you said it. You own it. It's you said it. You've got like all these Twitter followers. Everybody looked at it. Went what? Oh, and then you have to delete it, and then some PR agent's got to write some phony, humble response. No, just, you know what? You said it. You're an asshole either way. I think you're a bigger asshole when you delete it. I apologize for the feelings that I hurt, for the uh, sensitivities I, 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 I that I caused. I anyone. I love that. Right. Right. Yeah. If I offended anyone. Then, yeah. then the then the uh, apology basically goes on to say, "I didn't realize what what this was." What you live in California, falling into the ocean as we speak? You didn't yeah, that know? just makes you that just makes you look like a retard. Wait, wait, you can't say that. I can't. I didn't no. say that. What are you talking about? Say I what? I didn't say that. I didn't able. say anything. You look differently able. Yeah, uh-huh, differently able. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't say anything. <laughs> See? The Democrats said I said something. But... That's great. You, got, you should have been using that for years. Right, just, well, I was. Remember when I was a kid? I, yeah, I, what, whatever you say I said, I, I didn't say that. Or, I didn't or say I, that, yeah. I, I saw it completely different. There it is. See? I, I, I was training to be president and didn't even know it. You should be you should be the one, you know, giving all the advice. You should be in the White House giving Trump all of his advice. He's pulling right out of your playbook. Hey, man. Uh, he, he's apparently doing just just fine. Whatever it is he's doing, he's got many people following along, and it's working just fine for him. He's like, deny, deny, deny. And delete yeah, I, I don't. Right, I, I just pretend like you didn't say. Yeah, that is I, that that galls me as well when somebody says something clearly meant. It, it it's even worse. The the worst ones is not the celebrities that say something and regret it after the backlash comes out. The worst ones to me are guys who uh, troll and hate on some figure like a talk show host or something, and the guy responds back to him and burns him. You know, with a with a sick comeback. And the guy deletes the original tweet. So by the time I get to it and read it, oh, it's no. like, 
you, you read the sick comeback from the from the talk show host from the celebrity, and you go, "Ooh, I wonder what he's responding to." And then it goes, "This tweet is no longer available." And I'm like, oh. "So you're gonna talk shit to somebody, and then once they get up the balls to confront you back, you're gonna immediately delete it and run away." Like, who does that? Who, except unless you're nine years old, who does that? I don't understand that. There you go. Any, anything else uh, jump out? Oh, I, I do want to speak for a moment. Uh, and it's late. So I got to work in the morning. I don't want to be up too long talking about this. But I do want to point out that on Monday night, I felt fully affirmed of why 100% college football is ridiculously stupid. It's a piece of shit. I can't stand it. Ooh. I that game... Because that game on Monday night was all the proof that you need that college football is a joke. That it had nothing to do. They want to, they want to talk about coaching. They want to talk, no. How many teams? Can you go to the pros and have a team completely change their identity on the fly to come back to win a game because they just happen to have better guys sitting on their bench than they actually had playing on the field for most of the game. You can't just go out, oh, you know, we're going to put in a new quarterback, a new running back. We're just going to completely change the philosophy of our team. We're going to go from ground and pound and smash mouth and run option quarterback. We're just going to turn into a brand new running back who's going to run all over your defense and we're going to win a national title. Alabama strictly won because they just recruit. It's all we watched. We just watched a recruitment video that was a three-hour recruitment movie for the University of Alabama. Fuck you, college football. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maybe they wanted to resemble more of, of, of Major League Baseball because they go 162 games to set up their playoffs, and then they get to a one-game scenario and just change everything. Like, we can't let our starter go more than an inning and a third because now we're in a one-game playoff. We have to get our next guy ready right now, and we have to totally – that's the other way of changing your identity uh, is you just you refuse to rely on whoever your starting pitcher is instead of – doing it, you know, relying on him for five or six innings like you do in a regular season. You just say, well, now we're just going to just toss it up in the air and just play matchups the entire rest of the game. So it was a little similar to that, but But I understand. But those those guys are all still the same guys. They're they're the guys that got you there. You're just using them differently. You're not just pulling dudes off the bench who'd be starting for like three quarters of any team in Division I college football. Come on out here, guys. We need a, we need guys to come out here now and throw 40-yard bombs, drop them in the bucket, look amazing, change the whole offense. And, you know, I felt so bad for Georgia having that happen. Because it wasn't Nick Saban's a genius or any of this other bullshit. It was just Bama had more. They were just loaded. How often do you see it that a team can literally change their entire offensive identity in a game? Like, it was completely like, oh, wait, we're not this team anymore. We're a new Alabama team. Ha-ha, beat us. Yeah, can you imagine getting ready for uh, a team for 30, 40 days and, and training and, and preparing and in the classroom thinking you got your opponent figured out and then at halftime you just, ah, we're going to change. We're going to the bullpen, get a new guy. Yeah, you know, oh man, oh man, Jaguars are losing seventeen to three at halftime here. 
you know what, Blake Bortles, why don't you sit down? We've, we've got this other guy, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> We're just going to put him in now, okay? What, 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 what do you mean? Yeah, well, Leonard Fournette, you've only got a few yards. We're just going to bring in some other running back, you know, top of the league running back who's way better than you. Come on. It, it was totally – it was so phony. I felt gypped watching that game. I didn't know money on it. I didn't give a shit who won. I, I was like, I'm watching a compelling game, and all of a sudden I was watching a different game. I'm like, well, what, what, what game is this? It's a different team. Yeah. So, yeah, college football is such a joke. Rosters are too big. You shouldn't be able to do stuff that. Anyways, we know these guys are all pro athletes, basically. Anyways, so it was, it was, wow. I, I just, I went to bed. It was like eleven o'clock that night. I was like, what the hell did I just watch? <laughs> what a joke. Yeah, that is the bigger joke in there is the fact that all of these guys are completely uh, uncompensated for all of the all of the machination for all of the geniusness of getting the best athletes to come to your school uh nick saban gets millions of dollars for doing that and the kids get absolutely bupkis for it so yeah but yeah i i'm with you i was like what what is going on what what am i watching I, i went to bed as well i Literally, the last thing I saw before I closed my eyes and fell asleep was the Alabama touchdown uh, that that won the whole thing. And I'm like, oh, what happened? Oh, yeah. they won. Okay, and and I immediately fell asleep. But yeah, we're not yeah, the biggest so, college football fans. No, but I do take the time to watch the championship game, or at least I try to, you know, because you are supposed to be seeing the two best teams. And I thought I was watching this this story of Georgia. They were the underdog. You know, they were sticking it to Alabama. Their defense was playing strong. They they looked like, for the majority of that game, they looked like the better team. And then Alabama goes, well, hang on, we've just got the fresh reserves in here now. We're just going to bring these guys in to kind of mop it up. And you know, all that effort that Georgia put into to getting the lead, trying to hang on to it, they score the big touchdown over the top to take a little bit bigger lead. And it all ends up being for nothing because Alabama is basically sandbagging a quarterback and the running back. We're just going to come in and completely change the dynamic of the whole game and literally change the game that I'm watching. You don't see that in the pros. No, you don't. But college sports, so you know what the answer, of course, could be for that is Georgia just needs to pony up and recruit and, and – pay their players better money uh, and, and get better players next year to, to combat that. Whole thing's a farce. Yeah. So, so I don't know if you saw it the same way I did, but it, it, it made me, it, it made, it just affirmed why I pay so little attention to college sports in general. I got a, a slightest bit of a thrill out of it. Having absolutely no dog in the fight. I don't care how many titles Nick Saban wins. I don't care if he gets upset by by Georgia. It, it didn't matter to me even a little bit. So having no dog, not caring at all, I actually got a small bit of a thrill out of watching a kid come out in the second half. Uh, I, I think he was a true freshman, if I recall, uh, hearing that being thrown about and, and deciding to go with him and and have him light it up and bring them all the way back because that takes a that that does that does take a little bit of of, of chutzpah 
Because if he bombs, then everyone is looking at Saban going, what are you doing? You benched your guy that's been so great for you all year for this kid, and he just completely shit the bed. What's wrong with you? Uh, so that, that took some that took some cojones to do that. Uh, and, and he went out there and balled out. So, you know, good on him and, and good that they came back and won the title. You know, I, I'm kind of happy for the kid, even though I don't know who the fuck he is. I don't know his name. I, I couldn't pronounce his name if you put a gun to my head. But uh, it, it was it was a little it was a little different. It's, it does not happen in the pros. You're absolutely right about that. Uh, but uh, it, it was it was a little something. It, was, it, it actually added a little juice to the game for for me as somebody who was a disinterested watcher. Just imagine like well you know you get the first half and I'm like let's just put a whole new different team in this the second half. Both teams let's just yeah. do that. That's going to completely change it up. The role of the Alabama Crimson Tide will now be played by the New England Patriots. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe I like. Maybe I just like the the uniformity and the stability, and you know, you can watch something and you can get a feel for it. And you know, if somebody gets hurt or knocked out of the game, that the guy who's going to come in to replace him is generally not better, like noticeably better. And Jalen Hurts couldn't throw the football. He's your quarterback. Then all of a sudden they bring in a guy who's dropping dimes. It's like, wait a minute. This doesn't seem right. They also benched the guy who was like 25-2 and two as their starter, and you're hearing all right. these numbers, taking him the title games, he's done all this stuff, and all of a sudden, well, you know, we got this true freshman kid. He might be able to help us. And he goes in there, he looks like freaking Steve Young. <laughs> Just slinging balls to guys. And, and, you know, and Georgia at that point was completely gassed from playing the style of football that they were playing against a quarterback who was was assaulting them, trying to do it more on the ground. And he was at that point like, well, now you want us to go and cover 40-yard bombs? Yeah, come on. And these kids are just college kids. They're just out there. And that's why it felt even worse, because you're just watching kids' dreams get dashed because Nick Saban, uh, you know, sat in someone's house and, you know, quote, unquote, you know, didn't pay him anything. <laughs> yeah, the amateurs. Yeah, no, that's, why he's, that's why he's a genius, I guess. Yeah, that made me a little bit. I mean, I'm over it, but God, it got me going that night. I was like, what a what a jip. What, what a, never getting this time back. I could have been doing something else. All right. If you don't have anything else, uh, I, think, uh, I think we're done. Yeah. Now we're we Brady Quinn done now. Now we're done. Now we're done. Yeah, uh, no, next I, week that'll be up in like six hours. So next week can be Friday or Saturday. We, I, you know, we don't have to make the decision right this second. So just, but to let any listeners know, next weekend the conference title game uh, preview show and recapping uh, the divisional round this week. Uh, did you have a preface, or is there a night that you can't do? Or I, I would probably prefer Saturday. I can sleep later on Sunday. So I, I would most generally uh, prefer Saturday night. And then after that, the next week after that, I believe, is honors and dishonors. That's right. So, honors and dishonors. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm getting ready. I got my categories ready. And, and oh, I, 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 oh, always, you know I'm always working on mine. So I'm always mining material from the whole season, trying to come up with the, you know, and we, we put a lot of thought. It's always a fun show. Always one. Our word stuff is always something some of my favorite ones to go back and listen to. Oh, yeah. All of them, 
me, honors and dishonors, the, the, the preview shows, you name it. Those are always a, a ton of fun. But we're, we're we're getting to that point. Now we're almost almost kings and non sequitur again here in a few weeks. Yeah, hopefully we can get our microphone issues and whatnot worked out so that all these shows can sound their best. Because right now we're paying money for pretty much nothing. We're paying money for a two-hour show instead of a 30-minute show. That's what we're paying for. Yeah, I guess that's about it. Two hours and 20 minutes on the air. Could you imagine doing this in 30? uh, No. (laughs) We used to. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't have nearly as many things to say uh, because I didn't have time to say them. But now we got the expanded format. Yeah, it wasn't no. So it looks like we'll be back Saturday night. Uh, you need 10 p.m. Or, or is 9 okay? Or which uh, do you have nine, a time preference? 9 o'clock works good. Okay. Looks like next Saturday night, 9 p.m. Central, 10 p.m. Eastern, we will recap the happenings of the divisional round and get you set for the conference finals. <laughs> He is Jay. I am Dre. This has been In Much Less Detail, the podcast. Thank you all for listening and sitting through our technical difficulties. And thanks to Bryce from Brooklyn for calling in. And we will get back at you next Saturday night. Enjoy your football. Enjoy the divisional round.